Hey there, folks. What do you know? It's the Uticast, episode 251. And uh, we are back for part two of our very candid, very in-depth discussion of the early days of the friendship of myself and Kevin, our band together, the story of the blueprint, part two continues this week with more of our amazing songs, which I'm sure you guys have all been loving. Uh, thanks for sitting through our little trip through the past these last two weeks. We're having a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed doing this, and uh, I don't know what next week holds, but this has been a lot of fun. So thanks for joining us, folks, for episode 251, The Story of the Blueprint, part two. We are happy, as always, to have you guys here. Be safe. Continued coronavirus epidemic, Kevin. Good to see you today. How you doing, buddy? Happy Monday. Yeah, yeah, Monday. Monday. House is feeling, smelling a little cleaner today. Uh, yeah, a lot of cleaning product <laughs> scattered about the house. <laughs> a lot of cleaning product. You will have that smell, and you disperse much cleaning product. <laughs> uh, very strange day out there today. It's weirdly warm, but also like rainy and crummy out, and the wind mm. is really whipping. A very strange day. Uh, no, it's not strange. It's April showers. That's what they do in April. I just feel like I put. I had a, a I have a crew neck sweatshirt on, mm. and I put a, a flannel over it earlier, assuming it was cooler out. Mm. Then I got really sweaty and took it off. Yeah. And now I'm cold again. And I don't know if it's just because I got sweaty earlier. Hmm. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I'm having like cold flashes. Oh, yeah, yeah, you gotta balance yourself. Here. <laughs> Drink some more of that coffee, maybe. <laughs> well, um, before we dig into part two, uh, which I always think is the more fun part of this discussion, sort of the the ins and outs of our our glory days of being on the road and playing in the bands and having a lot of fun. Sure. Uh, I want to discuss a few other things that are important. Uh, it is coronavirus time still, obviously. I did order some new books, so I'm very excited. I was thinking yesterday I haven't read anything since we've been on this break. Like I've done very little sure. reading. Uh, and I was asking, is there anything you've been reading since we've been since we've been on coronavirus vacation here, sort of? Um, I was working through, uh, I had a bit of a snag, uh, not because the book wasn't good, but I put it down, but I was working through The Institute uh, by Stephen King. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was reading that with somebody else who was also reading it. Like, I was, you know, kind of book club, but if we're both going to tackle it. Um, I had that, then there's one or two other books that I've been looking at that are in kind of my on deck. There's another book about um, intelligence in octopus and octopus-related species that I started, like, a month and a half ago that was really, really good, and I sat down, and I got to pick that up as well. One of the nice things about being friends with Kevin for as long as I as I have is knowing that, that there's nothing that's more up your wheelhouse than a book about the intelligence of octopus and octopus culture. I mean, it's, <laughs> listen, it's amazing. It's, it's really... amazing. The level, the level of sentient consciousness achieved by these invertebrates of the ocean. It's wild. It's an, it, they're alien species. It's wild. I, I remember as a kid, I was in fifth grade at Hughes School, and, uh... Right around the corner from us, so shout out to Hugh School. Mm. And we were doing a science fair project, and everyone had to pick an animal from the ocean to do their project on. Mm. And I picked octopus, right? Because I thought octopus were cool. Sure. And they were going around asking kids at the time, like, how long do you think your presentation is going to be? And I didn't, 
you know, I didn't have any concept for time back then. I was like, I don't know, an hour? They're like, you're going to talk about octopus for an hour? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how long you want me to talk about it. So I think I ended up, I could do it in a half hour. I think I did like 10 minutes. And they're like, okay, yeah, go ahead and sit down. They're mm. kidding. Uh, octopus, though, pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I got two fiction books coming in because I, I thought about like reading a history book or going back to do some like... Some... You're already not reading, so trying to read a history book is not going to draw you further into <laughs> yeah. reading folk. Uh, Stuff like history books and like a lot of nonfiction lists, like really specific engaging style of nonfiction, mm-hmm. is for when you're a little more warmed up. That's not yeah. warm-up reading, you know what I mean? Warm-up reading, you need a beach read, you need a little burn or something that's a little bit of a, a jaunt, you know what I mean? The only things I've been reading, honestly, is stuff for, like, teacher certification, which is the driest reading oh, yeah. that's Garbage. ever existed. It's... Reading about reading about other people reading. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. terrible. Uh, other good news this week, my health insurance came through finally after hey. an up-and-down two-, three-month struggle of being in and out of health care cycles. I'm back on health care. That's neat. Yeah. So hopefully I don't get the coronavirus before it goes into effect on May 1st. Yeah, man, hopefully. I hope so. I hope so. (laughs) I thought Cuomo today was pretty positive when we watched him earlier doing his little spiel on Monday morning there about, like, uh, the plateauing of what's going on. Yeah, you hope so. Yeah. Hope it stays. You know what I mean? It's been a good day. It was a good day. Yeah. And I think that was actually the most interesting thing that he said during that whole thing is this is all, like, daily stuff. We're like, everything that we feel like is good or bad is all changing. And, yeah, anybody who doesn't, anybody who's not fully cognizant of that yet, at this point, is asleep, and you need to wake yeah. up. Mm-hmm. Like, wake up. Yeah. Wake up. You've been wearing a mask when you go out? What? You've been wearing a mask when you go out? No. No. a scarf. No, I don't go out, though. I'm not, where am I going? <laughs> no, I, go, I know. I go to the grocery store. I don't wear no mask in the grocery store. I don't have a mask. You've seen, you haven't seen all the videos of people making masks out of bandanas and, and things? Give it to fools. They don't work. <laughs> no. You know what I mean? Like, it might, it might provide, like, some deterrent. But no, I'm just conscious uh, of... Conscious of staying away from people. Conscious uh, with touching the face when I'm out. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But literally, the only place I go that's a public place is um, groceries. Yeah. So the place I go, and I guess, not even a gas pump, tank of gas is lasting a week and a half now. You know what I mean? I know, that's the weirdest And part. I get bad gas mileage <laughs> in my Jeep, you know what I mean? And I still, like, tank of gas is lasting forever. Um, my trick has been, everybody wants a little hint, something to do. Uh, you can go wherever you want. It's a great point. You just can't get out of your car. You know what I mean? So, like, I took, we took a really a nice long drive up through the North Country one day through the mountains by yeah. the lakes. We were mm-hmm. out driving for, like, three and a half hours. Yeah. It was a super long drive, but it was nice. What else are you doing? You're feeling com- cooped up. You can roll down the windows. A lot of different little, like, roadside areas up in the Adirondacks. We can, you know, eat a sandwich or whatever you pack. Have, like, a little sit down, mm-hmm. eat a lunch, and just go for a long drive just to get out there and get yeah. out and away from where you are. You know what I mean? It's not going to a bar or going to a restaurant or going to a party or whatever, but you can still, you know, if you're feeling cooped up, that's something that's been helpful for me, for sure. Uh, this is going to sound pretentious, I suppose, but I have upped my yoga to, like, five times a week. I'm, like, doing it every is day. Is that what you're doing? Yeah. When you go back? Yeah. When you go back into your room for a little bit in the middle of the day, is yoga? All right. Um, honestly? I see. Because I am concerned that mm. it's not... You know, even when I'm working with the kids and I'm out in the classroom, I'm still walking around the classroom doing stuff yeah, during yeah. the day. I've noticed, you know, especially with... The amount of video games I've been playing the last two weeks. I've noticed that I no. am uh, not being as physically active as I would like to be. So I've, sure. I've made a point to... And that's been a nice little um, nice little moment in the you center of the day. In, uh, you should work in some walks. Just pop in the I've been talking about going go for a run, run yeah. No, don't, you don't even have to run. You don't have to make it like a big thing like that. You're not doing the Boilermaker. Well, I'm not talking about miles. Back. I'm talking about like just taking a quick short run just to get my heart rate back up. Like I, I vote. For, I think that you would be more well served by doing a long walk than a short run. I suppose. Put on your headphones and literally go walk to, uh, yeah. you know, go walk over to the bridge in the village in Hartford and back. 
I was thinking about it after doing yoga today. I was like, maybe I'll go take a run after thing. But then uh, after you do yoga, it's surprising, which is a surprisingly hard workout if you're really doing it yeah, and yeah. not half, 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 half assing your way through it. And out of practice as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I was like done. I was like, oh yeah, I'll go for a run after that. I'm like halfway through yoga. I'm like, no, I'm done. Here. Walks the move. I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, all right. So I guess that's a good enough place to uh, to start for this week. Uh, and today we're sort of going to take this story that we started last week of our time mm. together as a band right through the end. I see. We have a uh, we have a special guest who will we be do. joining us next segment. Oh boy. I know. And uh, and then we're just going to run through a lot of sort of the. I have a lot of things set up here. We'll talk about venues. We'll talk about going on tour. We'll talk about the Midwest. We'll talk about you know living out of vans and social media and things like that. Mm. But I think something we didn't do last week that I think might help listeners uh, is just sort of do a quick run through before we get into everything about who everyone was and who was in the band and who are these people we're talking about. Well, okay. Well, you think I, am I wrong? Oh, no, I don't. I, I don't really know what you mean. So yeah, go ahead. Well, I just sort of so the band. Itself, I don't know that we didn't do that. I'm just, well, I don't know I'm if we ever officially. Yeah, I don't know if we ever officially sat down and like gave a list of what like who everyone was. We talked about getting around, but the, would it be helpful to talk about where we left off? Last yeah, week? I suppose. So last week we left off with Rochester, right? We ended off with the recording session in Rochester, and you played what? Just like being alone. We played just like being alone. Okay, cool. Uh, so, however, the first track we're playing today, unfortunately, because I forgot to do it last week, is older, and I can't believe we forgot to do it. Mm. Um, it's Imitation of Affection, which is older than that. Um, it's on the same, they're on the same CD. Yeah, but we wrote that one earlier, didn't it? Didn't we same play? Same time. Around the same time? Yeah, yeah. The same time, the same, like, group. Uh, so, the band, whenever we're talking about this band, The Blueprint, we are talking, essentially, about five people. Well, a rotating group of five people. Sure. Uh, the crew is... Uh, myself and Kevin, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, our very good friend Nick Vasali, who's mm-hmm. living out in Rochester now, who mm-hmm. sent me a really nice message after he listened to the show last week. Mm. <laughs> he really, he was very pleased. He seemed to really enjoy it. Mm. Uh, love Nick. He's the best. Uh, Jay Wilhelm, who played drums for us and mm-hmm. is, I mean, as we spoiled last week, he, he got sick and passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not here to, I know that's a spoiler, but I figure yeah. might as well let you guys know early. It's, it's, not, not, a, it's not Game of Thrones. Yeah, it's, yeah we're not yeah, trying to. Right. I think we'll be all right. Uh, and then we... We initially were just sort of the four-piece... For a long time. For a long time. Mm-hmm. And then that fifth spot sort of rotated around initially. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you'll have to correct me here, because I, I, I forget the order. Yeah. We had three people, and one of them, Steve we Anderson... two people. Well, we had Cheeks, too, didn't no, we? No, never. <laughs> no, he wasn't. No, he never touched it. He never yeah. touched it. So let's talk about Dave. Dave Miliani, who is our friend... Uh, yes. ...who came in and was essentially playing... That's when Kenny was still in the band. Yeah, but mm-hmm. he, was the, he was sort of the first... Bonus guy, right? Mm-hmm. The extra member of the band. Keys. Yeah, did he Dave play keys? Though? I never understood why yeah. we. Re- was he a good keyboard? He was a great piano player, I guess. Sure. I mean, he's he's yeah. He can play a keyed instrument. Mm-hmm. Keyboard and piano, same thing. If you play one, you can play the other. Um, but Dave, why did Dave leave? Uh, because he wanted to get paid for every show. <laughs> and Dave, we were- <laughs> I know, really, really, hundred percent. Because it used to be the the trick with Dave was yes. always like Dave was <laughs> friends with all of us and Dave played session. But Dave Meliani, for anybody you know who knows or doesn't know, is is an amazing, amazing bass player. One mm-hmm. of the reasons that I play bass, you know what I mean? My friend Dave, like he played it, and yeah. I was like, "That's so cool! I want to do that." Um, and he came to do it for us because we needed somebody to do it, and he wanted to get out there, and it was cool. But he wasn't committed to like, "Yeah, we're gonna get paid for this show, and it goes back into the band fund." He's like, if I'm going to play a gig, I would like to be paid for this gig. Yes. Traditionally, as Dave, you know, the money comes first. Money comes over everything. He just didn't care about the band that way. And after a while, I mean, we'd be going to shows where we were making, you know, just barely X amount to put back into the band fund to put into, 
guests or whatever, mm. this or that or whatever it was, and we wanted to continue expanding the amount of shows we were playing, but with him being paid for every show, it just didn't make financial sense going forward, and there was like resentment where it's like, well, how come nobody else is getting paid, but you get this paycheck just to come in and basically be frosting that we don't really need anyway you know what i mean like that's not really an ideal setup and you make you bring up a really good point that i don't know if we talked about last week that i think Mm. is important for people to know as we talk about everything going through at no point in time over the the however many year period this was that we did this did we ever really make any money never well that's misleading to say well everything Um, we made sort of got turned back into the we didn't get paychecks yeah we didn't get paid we didn't draw individual paychecks as individuals from the band i mean we made Plenty of money. The money we paid went for paying for the things the band had to do. That is you correct. Know what I mean? yeah. that, that the band, but I mean, needed or for you know various yeah. recording for van for space for anything yeah. like that. You know what I mean? I just mean when people would ask me that question, they're like, "What did you make from this show?" I'm like, "Well, as a band, we made this much money. Yeah, yeah, How yeah. much money did I make? Mm-hmm. Zero dollars." Yeah, do you yeah. mean like I, mm-hmm. I didn't? Well, that's why I mean you have to also you know at that time like when you're doing a band like that, you have to also mm-hmm. be working. You know what I mean? You have to also yeah. have a job. There's just no and. I guess there are two other things I wanted to talk about as well. The sort of the other bonus member of well, let's let's go to Steve. Steve will be here next. So okay. Steve uh, Steve Anderson, who will be joining us in our next segment because he he's very excited for it. He told yeah, me. yeah. Uh, he came in to replace Dave, and Steve was somebody we had known for many years. Yeah, yeah. Well, we yeah. Yeah. How do you knew Steve longer than I did? You Way know? longer. Yeah. yeah I yeah. brought. Yeah. I Steve was my friend because I was friends with Dave because they used to play in their metal band uh, Havoc together. Like That's before correct. that. Yeah. And doing, um, you know, since they had other bands that they were playing. And he was around, and we were going to have our buddy Cheeks, who you mentioned briefly, was going to take over for Dave. And we're like, hey, man, yeah, because he was a kid who, you know, he was a good friend. He kind of hung around. He would come yes. take care of merch sales if we needed merch. Would yeah. come along on the a trip guy. if we needed an extra set of hands. Great dude, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, good, good extra guy out there to have. And he was somewhat musical. He could play guitar. He's like, I could probably learn the keys. None of our keyboard parts were like hard or anything. Um, he's like, I think I can maybe do it. We're like, yeah, that might be a good idea. And then the idea kind of came up to have Steve do it, because Steve's an amazing musician. We yeah. knew Steve, we all liked Steve, we hung out with him. And once that idea came to fruition, we're like, oh, it doesn't really make sense to have Cheeks do this, does it? Steve's definitely the guy. And then we had that conversation with Cheeks, like, hey, bud, uh, turns out yeah. we're actually not going to let you be in a band. <laughs> you, know, on a pers- you can still totally come do merch at shows. On a personal level, um, at the time, I didn't, when we were younger, at this era, mm. And I've talked about it before with uh, GFOP Chris Mandry, who, uh, shout out to Chris Mandry out in the West Coast, good friend of the pod, who's been on mm-hmm. many times with the listeners out there. Chris and Dave Miliani, who was the original fifth guy, and Steve, who, who we'll talk to in just a moment. Sure. When I was growing up and I was learning the ropes of being a musician, I always sort of thought of myself as a worse musician than everybody at that period of time. I didn't think I had the chops that you guys had. Mm-hmm. Um, you mean, I think you were probably the best musician I know now. At the time, I didn't appreciate how good you were at bass because I was sort of flabbergasted by how oh, I was, flashy Dave and Chris were at that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Doing... I also wasn't like that. I mean, I was I was competent and I was fine back then, but I'm, all, I'm a lot better now than I was then, yeah. certainly. Uh, but I always sort of like felt sort of, uh, I don't know, like I, it was tough to play with like Dave Sometimes when we were younger, not even not in this band, but like in general, because he was so talented. Level gate, level yeah, level gate. Level gate. That's yeah. exactly what it is. Yeah. yeah, I didn't have the the chops to play. You with know, him. my goal has always been being in a bass player in a band because <laughs> I've never been like a I've never been like, <laughs> yeah. a, like a shred like going nuts, like yeah. slapping and popping and this and that. 
Um, which is funny because a lot of stuff's going out of vogue and now like in bass playing circles if you're slapping people are kind of like oh gross relax yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> really? oh yeah in bass, oh in bass, bass players will make fun of other bass players like if you see some dude in a in like a guitar oh, store slapping a bass mm. or like just slapping the shit out of the bass on stage it's like you're embarrassing yourself wow. relax we get it can you actually play <laughs> um, which is nice to see come back around a lot of vindication with age but no my goal as a guy who didn't like shred like that and was never the best musician was always to be if I'm the bass player in your band you don't ever have to worry about me Mm-hmm. My stuff will always be taken care of. I'll always be where I need to be. It will always be where it needs to be. The notes will be exactly what it needs to be, and you'll never have to yeah. think about the bass. That will all be taken care of. I mean, that was, from my perspective, that was always my favorite part of playing with you, even not just in that band, but in every band we've been in over the years. Mm-hmm. I never had to think to myself, hey, if I have Kevin write this part, I might not like it. Like I was like, I just trusted oh, okay. you. Yeah, yeah. you know I, mean? I just trusted you to do stuff if I asked you to do it because we sort of had a... Mm-hmm. A mentality about what we liked. You know what I mean? Yeah. Probably be different close now. Enough, well, yeah. cl- it would definitely be more It would be more different now than it was then, but still definitely close enough where we could find that middle ground if you're like, hey, do this. This is what I'm hearing. I'm like, all right, I mm-hmm. see what you're saying, but think about this, or it might make more sense to this. We would still find that common ground pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Even if we started a little bit further apart now yeah. than then. Um, so, and, and I guess for the sake of argument, I think Steve is sort of like the stepdad, my stepdad of the band. Steve is your literal stepfather. Yeah, he... <laughs> He wasn't the first guy there, but somehow he was there longer than all the original people, mm-hmm. and I didn't give him as much credit for it. At the he time. became the main guy. He became yeah, yeah. the main guy. He yeah. supplanted. He, was, he supplanted even, the, the the deadbeat Italian yeah. who was only out for his own money. And Steve's Steve swore the Nordic European blend just came yeah. in and completely supplanted oh, the deadbeat Italian and oh. became the true father that you always longed for Should in the we, band. Before we go into our first track uh, for today, can we talk about the last member of the band? The non well, there's two other members of the band we have to talk about. Number one, maybe the sneaky most important person to how we did this band as long as we did, and that was Nick Vasali's dad, Rob Smooth. Smooth, yeah. I don't man's think, name is Smooth. Um, I don't know how your pops at the time felt about you playing in bands. I know my mom was not... Non-plussed. Non-plussed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and we can ask Steve when he comes in how, how his mom felt sure. about it. But, you know, he'd been playing for a long time. She was probably sure. more comfortable sure. with it. Uh, Nick's dad was one of the few adults. Smooth was one of the few adults who really like was like, He oh, came yeah. to every show. He bought a truck. Before we had a van or a trailer, he bought a yeah. truck that could haul all the gear. He came to every single show. Help load, unload, did, uh, handled all emails for the band, all booking in those dark days when we were playing yeah. weird four-hour bar sets and yeah, Kenny's in the band, yeah. um, <laughs> making sure all the emails handled, all the money, did all the banking, helped us out with every contact, with every reaching out. I mean, he was, you know, he was a manager and for all intents and purposes, you know what I mean? Only limited by what he didn't know, but would teach himself anything he could on the fly to do what he thought. Nobody believed in the band harder than he did. Still to this day. To this day, if I see Smooth anywhere, love you, Smooth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, He's within thirty seconds. He's asking me about like when we're gonna like start playing together again. I'm like I'm thirty five. Then move your boy back from the west. <laughs> yeah, move your boy move back. back from the west. If you still, if you still lived on Salzer Place right now, you can't tell me we wouldn't be poking around. Uh, and I had two. I had one. I had two other things that could potentially be the last band member. One of them was our van, that mm. 1996 Chevy conversion van or whatever it was that we were driving around. Yeah, yeah, Vanzilla. Yeah, Vanzilla, which had its own. And the other one was the MySpace page. That was a great van. <laughs> Because MySpace was really hot back then. Like, I think it's important to discuss, too, that before we really were on, like, any other platforms, MySpace was where we were on. Yeah. That was what yeah, yeah. you did. And it sounds silly now, because MySpace seems like an afterthought. To the youth, but, like, a lot of people who listen to this show, we've got a lot of people who are, like, our age or old enough to understand yeah. and remember that time, for sure. That, but MySpace, that our MySpace page felt important. 
to at least to me at the time, right? Like, I know, it, yeah, you know I, know, what I'm saying? I know what you mean when you say that. Yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, it was the primary gate by which we did any sort of uh, promotion and business, and and made you know like who we were. There was no social media. There was no. There was no Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, you know, anything that we talk about that people have now, you know what I mean? To get out to people. There was no YouTube, really, at the time. All that stuff. All you had was your MySpace presence. Do you think sometimes, I think of this all the time, and I'll ask you in this case, were we a few years behind the times or a few years, were we a few years too early or a few years too late with our band? Yeah, it was a weird, it was just a weird, uh... Because I feel like we missed out on all the digital stuff by a couple years. Yeah, it was a weird middle time. We didn't really have access to a lot of the tools that became um, became more prevalent, certainly, as like yeah. a couple years after we stopped playing. You know what I mean? You get in like, the garage band and stuff like that. That all would have been cool. Yeah, it's true. To be able to do that stuff on the fly and just have that sort of accessibility to recording when back... For a certain, I felt like recording was like a dirty word for us for a while. Recording was impossible because it was expensive because the only way you could do it was get like a studio and go book a place and have somebody else record you. Or you could have some low quality trash that you did on like the, you know, primitive home computer recording technology. Yeah. Uh, Alright, so that's pretty good. Let's, uh, let's get into our first track of the day. What are you going to play? Uh, we're going to play Imitation of Affection. Okay. Um, which, much like the track from last week, Hello There... There are very few tracks. You're, you're not proud of everything you said? Not proud <laughs> mm. of everything that was written in terms of how I said I, I'm, I'm not mad about it. Because this was probably, we talked about it last week. I can't believe we didn't talk about this song because this song felt like one of our more important songs for a long time. Uh, for sure. The, this problem, the same problem with all of them though, is it didn't, we didn't get it right on the CD. That is correct. We didn't record it, right? Yeah. My biggest con- like uh, contestion with this song, I got downvoted in the middle part. You hear a bridge where it goes to like this weird electronic, like just weird, oh, weird electronic right. sampling stuff that's that happens. Right. Uh, a couple people were too gassed off of Panic at the Disco at the time, and we're like, "Yo, yeah, yeah." We should. <laughs> a couple folks in the band were just they were just a little too excited about that first Panic at the Disco CD. Uh, some people like, today yeah, are still we, too excited about that first Panic We should work in like CD. some stuff and some this and that. Like alive when we do that, and every time we play that, it's got this breakdown where it's just the bass and the drums. We bring everything down, we build it back up, and you do your vocal, and it's like a nice middle that we can stretch for as long as we want, whether we open or close with it, and do like it's a useful and a cool part, and a part I love playing because it's yeah. like just heavy on the bass, and you're just rocking with the drums and playing like you know some good bass playing, and you'll hear none of that. You hear no live drums, you hear no bass playing, um, and I got downvoted, and it's stupid, and the song's not recorded right, and the BPM is too slow, and the guitars don't sound right, but yeah, whatever. Play the song. Imitation of Infection. We'll be back in just a second with our buddy Steve. I'm mad as hell. <laughs>
closer to me tonight Closer to me tonight So you take my hands and leave me out And I'll pretend that I still care for you But I don't care for you Imitation of affection. I don't. Uh, I don't love the lyrics, but yeah, I do. I, 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 I don't hate this song though. Like I don't love this. Recording. No, no. This song, yeah, one hundred percent. This song, well played live, is probably the big one. Like when we played that very last show at the Electric Company, we, we closed with. We closed a lot of nights with this song. That was mm. a heartbreaker. Mm, it's true. Uh, joining us uh, for this segment, we were just talking about him. He was, as I referred to him, the stepfather of the the band. He was there. I like that. He was <laughs> he was there longer than the original dad. That I had. justifies me mm. making that claim a couple years ago on the internet. Oh, no claims on the internet. Don't cover your uh, don't, don't cover, cover your, your mouth, mouth Steve. Uh, <laughs> so, Steve, I, I would say one of the most common things that happens when we're podcasting, when people don't podcast all the time, you forget how much when you sit and talk and the natural inclination is like move yeah. a hand in front of your mouth or like turn away. There's a lot of weird stuff that happens when I'm doing podcasts, too, because I have a bad habit of, uh, I can't, don't give me a pen that clicks, because mm. I'm going to sit here and click it the That's whole time. That's a good point. That's... Yeah. Uh, Steve, welcome. Thank you for joining us here this week. Um, as... You're the only really other local member of the band around. Nick's not here, and there's mm-hmm. no one else really around anymore. Dave, mm-hmm. is Dave around? Yeah, of course. I haven't seen Dave, I feel like. Yeah, hey, he's been locked up. Quarantining. Quarantine. It's true. He's quarantined. quarantined. Man, he's got... Dave's mom is in her 70s. You don't play around. True That's story. Great point. Uh, so, Steve, we were talking a bit about uh, the band in general and about our time and the band members, but let's start a little bit with you since you were... Uh, since people don't know you very well unless they listened to that one episode of FTL Sports many years ago. <sighs> Steve, you were playing... Guitar long before I met you, yes? That, yeah, that's. When did you first pick up guitar? Uh, I think it was six, I believe. I six? Taking, when I started taking lessons when I was seven. Yeah. You started taking lessons at seven? It was either six That's or why seven he's so good. That's why he shreds. 
That's okay. it. Was the, all right. So the first thing that I remember wanting cognizantly as a child was walking through Toys R Us and seeing a guitar that was in their rack of stuff. And you know, I don't know if it's biological. My dad was in a band. Mm-hmm. I wanted that thing, so they bought me a guitar. Obviously not from Toys R Us. So you were in the guitar ever since childhood. I it was, it was one of the first things that I know I wanted. Mm-hmm. And I think it's. It, I was going to talk about this later on, but it actually bring it brings up a good point. You took lessons at seven. Yeah. Ken, did you ever take lessons for bass? Uh, no. Interesting. No, that's pretty clear. No, I know that. Well, I'm just... Because I... It drives me nuts every time. Well, I think about it all the time because I... I'm sort of in the middle. Like, I, I took about five to ten lessons with mm-hmm. a guy named Mark Wachowski, who you can that, still go get lessons that's, for. That was Steve's guy as well. Steve, teacher. that was your instructor. Yeah. And, and I... And this is not a knock on Mark. I think Mark's a really nice guy. Every time I see Mark, great guy. He helped me out a lot. But what happened for me when I first started going into lessons, and I don't know why this this happened, I started just going in and being like, can you teach me how to play this song? Dude, I did that for... As opposed to, like, teach me a technique, Mm -hmm. right? See, I feel the byproduct of that, and this is a good thing, going and saying, teach me this song, is the techniques are inherently Mm -hmm. involved. So you learn the techniques as a byproduct. I think the problem that comes there, and as somebody who's self-taught, I think I run into this where the problem when you do that, the one deficiency that you will have if you learn that way, because I learned by teaching myself how to play songs through like tabs and like through mm-hmm. the internet and just playing a lot and listening is the techniques are they are inherent in learning how to play these songs, but so a lot of it is you'll know how to do something, but you don't really know the why and you don't have the understanding and like some of the prerequisite building blocks that help you understand why you're doing what you're doing and thus when to do it later. Yeah. If you're like jamming or writing or something, you know what I mean? So it's not that you can't play without lessons, but that is something that I definitely wish I had had. I, I kind of always make the explanation that uh, the lessons are there to teach you not just the left hand because the left hand is obviously sure. important. The sure. big thing you get out of lessons in a more intangible thing is the right hand because the right hand is what gives a musician style as opposed sure. to uh, the technique. <laughs> sure. Now, Steve, uh, I have to ask you this question because we talked a little bit about this last week about kids in modern... You don't see people creating music the same way today because the way people make music is different. You were playing, like, metal bands with your buddies and stuff in the basement. Some of the first times I remember meeting you was, like, going to your basement and, like, watching you guys play. Did you feel like band culture was a lot more prominent when we were growing up than you see it in, like, the world today? I know it's hard because we're not in, like, high school anymore, but... Uh, I think the difference is the... You don't have to have four or five people anymore that all want to do the same thing, and you can just be the one guy that wants to do this. Mm-hmm. So do I know... I, I don't know if it's more or less prevalent, or it's just a shift in the way it's done, just because there's been such a major shift in the way it's all done, but I'm kind of I'm kind of on the fence. I'm wishy-washy. So, uh, Steve, you come in the band sort of later on in the... So I guess we call the second half of the band, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, it was even yeah. kind of early on. Did you feel, and I, I, I'm not joking when I mean this, I'm, did you feel like, do we make it hard on you? No. Did we bust your balls too no. hard? Like, did we give you a hard time? There was, I jumped out of a situation where all I wanted to do Yeah, can was, we, I don't, I don't mean to jump before and cut you off, but so like when it happened and when we came around, what happened for you? Do you remember like when we reached remember, out and started I talking? Day, I remember the events. Of so the what day. happened? How did you get involved? Because I don't really. Okay. Just so. Bang uh, me through. I knew that, uh. The plans to uh, bring Cheeks in were the plans. Right. (laughs) Um, And I did not try and intervene in those plans, although, like, I'm not going to lie and say I didn't think to myself, I wish I... Uh Uh-huh. I see. (laughs) But it was brought up to me. It's all good. It's all good. I mean, yeah. We're being honest Years later. It was brought up to me 
conversationally, and I said, there it's like, well, what would you think of it? Yeah, I'd do it. Because all I wanted situationally a band from the time I was a little kid, from the time I wanted to be in the band, what's the other half of the reason I want to be there other than learning to play an instrument? It's because you want to be a rock star, which means you want to go play shows. And I can sit around and practice all the, you know, all the things I want to, but if you know, that was the other half. So, so you were in a band. So, for because for folks who don't, you were in a band that was a really, really good metal band, super talented, crazy guitar playing, very, very stimulating artistically. Very like you're going nuts. You're playing a lot of guitar. It's very dense. You're getting a lot as a guitar player. But that band never played shows, whereas our band was playing shows all the time, constantly, all, so all the time, at least once or twice a week. Open we were practicing three or four nights a week, and you know that was something because you made the jump. You were like, hey, listen, you know, you guys. I'm primarily a guitar player, and if I come and play keyboards in your band, I will be the best guitar player in your band playing keyboards, and I'll play guitar sometimes, and we had that, but you made that sacrifice as an artist and musician because you wanted to be on stage performing that much, oh, you yeah. know what I mean? I think that really goes to show what the draw was to be out there and be playing, is even if you had to take doing something that wasn't your favorite thing to do on stage, it was worth it to go and be playing out all sorts of places all the time. It, it was a situation to not just go play for another band it was a situation to go do what i wanted to do in another sure. band, which was ultimately go in and fit the fit the puzzle piece that you needed to fit at the time right play what instrument utility guy utility I, infielder I, 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 greatest fun you could ever have mm-hmm. yeah and i think too um for you i think too it was a nice opportunity to play with like your buddies but it wasn't also the buddies you've been playing with it was like i have these other friends who i'm close with who i can also do this thing with but it was the buddies of the in the band that I went to the shows to all the time. Yeah, yeah. Before I was in the band, and it was just like the tinge of jealousy in the back of your head saying, "Boy, well, because that would du- be fun. because during that time between you know coming up during then you know we had a large group of friends that were you know primarily musicians at the core. Yeah. And there was two different I don't want to say camps and factions because it's not like there was acrimony or headbutting because it was just different, but. There was the metal guys, and then there was the whatever we were doing guys. We'll say the yes. punk guys, we'll say the rock guys, we'll sure. say whatever it is. And Steve had always played with the metal guys, but he spent more time hanging out with the punk guys and had and probably a little bit music. more in common with the punk music yeah. and being more into that thing at a mm-hmm. time. You know what I mean? So like we would go, we were always hanging out and crossing over, but that was the first time he got a chance to come over to that side of the field. You know what's funny, too? Because you say that, and it's a really interesting point. I never in my life, even to this day, never really considered myself a huge fan of metal music. Like, mm-hmm. I like some metal music, but not yeah. others. But being around musicians, even if it was metal musicians, it didn't matter to me because somehow, even though I didn't understand like mm-hmm. that this was like music that I didn't get into, yeah, I felt this camaraderie with these creative people in a yep. way that you didn't get with the friends that you were sort of manufactured by the people who lived around you. Well, and you, you know I mean? and you also, I think when you're in that scenario, um, in order to really appreciate heavy metal music, I think you have to experience it live to understand that is correct. What's cool about yeah. it, and I think when you've got friends that are playing it. Who are rocking out, playing metal all the time, jamming on metal, coming up with metal songs. You're always around exposed to it. And you get to see these live bands in practice and rehearsal, sticking around to somebody's house, whatever it is. It gives you more opportunities to expose yourself to what's cool about metal. You know what I mean? Right. The, the thing for me also is almost, if, if that's a level from like somebody that never really got into metal to that, I'll say the furthering of that from musician to musician is the reason I think metal is so amazing you can't grasp it until you are in the middle of playing it for some reason like Mm. it's the most aggressive intense enjoyable thing to do but the downfalls are that uh it's not 
so palatable sometimes. Well, and that's also that's something interesting you'll hear about when it comes to like metal music and heavy metal. You will be hard pressed to find um, a musician who doesn't at least very much appreciate heavy metal. Correct. You might get like some old heads, old timers who are like mad that it's not the '70s anymore, and some of those folks are like Sabbath. The thing with a lot of metal is much like jazz and some other playing. Like a lot of the metal playing is pinnacle of like pushing yourself, playing hard stuff to do, technically challenging, and all this. So a lot of musicians move in that direction because they want to keep getting better and trying new things. So I think that's why it pulls a lot of musicians the, too. But the counting aspect in metal sure. is, mm. is, is is all right. So if non anything non metal functions more on a melodic basis, you get your your one offs now and then. But like it's more melodically driven. Metal will constantly rest on the counting aspect of it, or furthering that, like you know the counting as like the polyrhythms and stuff like mm. that, and that. It makes you functionally smarter as a musician in a way that you don't necessarily expect it's going to until you realize that your instincts change. Mm. Steve, uh, we're going to go to the next song. i got three last quick questions for you before we uh, we close up. Okay? Uh, number one, do you have... Because these are some questions I'm going to talk to Kevin about later, but I don't, I don't want to miss out on this opportunity. What was your favorite song, original or cover, that we performed as a band when we were playing together? Jack's Little White Lies. No. Jack's Little White Lies. Wow. Uh, I don't have that uh, on track The anymore. Boy Cried Wolf. There was never that. Boy that one Cried was never Wolf. on track. I don't even... I, that, Jack's Little White Lies... Never got I recorded. I don't remember what it sounds like. Uh, I remember most of the song. <laughs> um, um, I remember, we were, the, we I remember the progressions, and I could probably find that little lead riff that Nick, I think it was you or Nick I, or whoever uh, started. Nick, I, Steve I, can definitely play that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would you have a single defining like favorite memory that when you think about your time in the band that you go back to a show, a song, a moment, any single thing you think of, a party, any any one moment that you go try and keep it clean, but any one moment that you can find that you remember when you think about the band that pops into your head. Uh, is anyone else in the room's sleeping partner touching their leg? Yes. Mm. <laughs> so tour shenanigans <laughs> in the beds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. uh, Shout out to Smooth. Mm-hmm. Sorry, to smooth. Uh, all right, and I guess, um, I don't know, I guess, is there anything you want to say about your time before we close out the song? Anything you feel like you want to say as a closing? What song are we going to go into as well? Oh, well. That's so. probably good to know. Good to know. We're going to go into a song, uh, which we didn't, not one of our more popular songs, I feel like, a song called Last Tango in Brooklyn. And this recording... Was, oh, so yeah, this is the whole thing. You can't just go to this. you got to, like, talk about what this is. That is correct. Yeah, you so, can't just throw it away. Well, okay, so... <laughs> Let, let's get to a. We'll see. I'll, I'll give you a chance here to say your your last piece, and then I'll introduce Last Tango in Brooklyn. Uh, one of the most important things I've ever actually been able to functionally learn, like, and bring into adulthood in my life is uh, being able to figure out how to be a happy human being when <laughs> things aren't perfect and when you live in a van and you have no money, but the people around you yeah. are absolutely fantastic yeah. you're happy you're literally as broke as a human being can be i mean but <laughs> but you st- i mean you as as long as as long as you know big pop and nick's buying gas and pizza and we're going down the road it, it taught me that you can always be happy yeah. it was great it's a good it was point. Best, it's best, good. best time in my entire life Without, you know. Well, that, ex- that extrapolates to a larger lesson than I say to a lot of people. I think you're spot on, is, you know, as long as you know, you're with your people, you're doing your thing, no matter what kind of circumstances, maybe dire, maybe a good day, bad day, lean times, fat times, whatever times. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But as long as you got your people and as long as you got the right attitude, you're going to have a good time, you're going to enjoy yourself. You know what I mean? You're going to pull good memories from I that. one time hit Kevin in the head with a car door. 
That was me, and it hurt. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That was Sam, and I thought that you had given him a brain fracture. I, I actually, okay, I, I thought you had given him a brain fracture. How hard I literally did it. Yeah, you slammed that door on his head pretty good. I didn't know he was there. Uh, oh, so boy. let's talk about Gary Johnson for a second. Mm. Let's talk about our shout good out friend. to Gary. Shout out Gary Johnson. If you, yes, let's. If you've seen Gary Johnson outperforming, you know he's an amazing performer. I and love if you him. haven't, go because yeah, let me tell you real. what, so Gary puts on a hell of a show. Uh, but Gary was always, Gary was very close with us, particularly our drummer Jay. They'd known each other for a long time. They came up together. Came up together. They grew up together the way we grew up together. Yeah. Yeah. I love Gary. We had a great, Gary was always super accommodating, mm-hmm. super nice to us. And we, after I guess sort of being unhappy with the, the Black Dog sessions. Yeah, yeah. So we came out, after we did that recording in Rochester, which we were at Imitation of Affection, we listened to Just Like Being Alone, I think, Good Morning last week. Yes. Yeah. Um, we weren't really pleased with the way that that turned out. And much like we talked about last week being in a band, every time you record, by the time you're done recording, you've got a whole bunch of new songs. Because we correct. write songs all the time, so you have new songs, you're like, well, shit, I'm going to record these songs now. Because I like these songs better than those songs, you know what I mean? Because you're hopefully writing progressively better yeah, yeah. better stuff. That's correct. And hopefully. so that definitely happened to us. But, you know, after spending the money on that, and, you know, it being an expense, and it being expensive to record, because, again, like we said, there was no garage band, we wanted to record new songs, but we were looking for a cheaper way to do it. Yeah. Uh, and lo and behold, Gary Johnson. Who was trying to get into recording yeah. and maybe build himself a little recording studio out yeah. there in Tabor. Tabor? Was yep. it Tabor? We out, yeah. Like yeah, that was Past the out. town of Tabor, all out, almost towards Camden. Uh, I don't know how long we spent out there. There were some really funny photos and moments from that recording session of oh, the God. weird deer heads that we had the pictures of and mm-hmm. uh, and writing all the weird stuff on the fly, but uh, not the best recording session we ever had. Well, so that that was the problem. So we went out there and we tried to, we demoed a bunch of songs that we thought we were going to do. So when you're recording, demoing a song basically means recording it, but you're recording yes. all copies you're not going to keep. So we're just going to get like a rough cut, everybody's going to play their parts so oh, we yeah, have yeah. this like structure, this, this sort of central clay to work with. Mm-hmm. And we did that with Gary, but he was still, he didn't have all the gear he wanted to get yet, and he wasn't quite there yet with recording, and we just, we knew we weren't going to be able to get to the sound quality that we wanted, mm-hmm. but we did demo like five or six songs and have a good time, and... I think on last time we were in Brooklyn, I think there will be like weird ad libs. We were like joking around, like "Don't look at my nudie picture" and stuff like that. Don't look at my nudie picture. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it was cool, and some of the stuff was cool, and it was nice to have the demos. And we eventually went in to record them, but we just couldn't get towards the sound quality that we wanted. The gang vocals on the New Midwest on the demo versions, sound yeah, yeah, better the, than they do that, on the recorded. That being said, we'll go to the song right now. I actually don't hate this recording. I think this is a pretty good yeah, recording yeah. of all the tracks we came out of. I think this one. No, it's best. definitely not bad, and this song is interesting. I know we'll talk about it later in this episode but this song is interesting because we went and recorded the follow-up ep with every song we did with gary this one didn't make the cut make the cut we were going to record this but we never did a better recording of this so all the demos mm-hmm. from gary's studio we went and did better versions of we wrote Boston, safe harbor in but not this studio. one because it got yes. replaced that's correct uh steve i want to thank you for joining us here spending some time with us today we appreciate you I appreciate it. Thank you. You're very... <laughs> That's, you know, like I said, I was going to be cooking. Uh, we're back in just a minute. Uh, here's Last Tango in Brooklyn.
Steve for coming to join us. Appreciate mm. that. Um, yeah, so Last Tango in Brooklyn. I actually, this is a really interesting song, and I'm glad you convinced mm-hmm. me to put this one on here as opposed to another song from our last session. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think we talk about different styles. This is a song that I feel like I had a lot of. Oh, this is a big use song. This is a really, yeah, yeah. I think I pitched most of this song to Nick in like one session. Yes. And I think at the time, this was like, I wanted to be a little bit more aggressive. Definitely. And, definitely, definitely. And now in hindsight, you listen to this song, it's not super aggressive. Right, but, but it was moving in that direction from something like A yeah. Good Morning or something like that. Yeah, I liked this song in hindsight. When I went back to listen to these songs again before we said this, I was like, you know what, this song's pretty good. <laughs> this is a really fun live song. Yes. Because it's high energy, it's fast-paced. This is always a good song to play, like, second live. And you'll probably hear us say this a couple times. Much like every song that we have that I kind of like, I still feel like it's missing something. There's something missing in this track. I I couldn't exactly tell you what it is now. Chords. Chords? Chords. Yeah, it's just extra notes, yeah. Uh, Everything's just power chords, just like doubled and tripled mm -hmm. and everything. Now, you're going to have to help me out here. So, when we were recording with Gary and we did this, Uh had we already been going out to do, like, touring and stuff out in the Midwest where we mostly just stayed yeah, in Yeah, of course. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, when did we start, when did we start initially deciding we wanted to leave 
New York to go do stuff. I mean, when early we, on when we were sixteen. No, I, that was all. I mean, that was right. always that was always the the goal and the point. That's always what it was working towards. Right. Was was that wasn't like an idea or an epiphany? I mean, that was the goal from the second you pick up the instrument. No, no, I know that, but I mean, yeah, like, yeah. when did it become a realistic thing where we had access to really start going out of the state? Like, it was probably I mean, a couple when of... Kenny was still in the band. Really? We, yeah, were, so all, we were already that. doing it. We were already going everywhere. That's yeah, true. All, all it's like people say, you know, the word tour can mean a lot of things, and we can use that word. And let it be let it be clear, we were never out there for like you no know, like bunch of months no. on the road, like Two touring the way you see yeah. that stuff happen. There'd be different stretches of like, you know, weeks at a time and different stuff like that. But uh, all it really all you really have to do to quote unquote go on tour is be able to string together shows in a route that makes sense. Yes. You know what I mean? Like have a show here and then play in Syracuse tomorrow night and then try to play in Rochester Buffalo the next night and then as you go there get the, you know what I mean? Like that's all you do is, you know, book out ahead of time. Uh yeah, and I think it's funny, too, because you could tell we learned some stuff doing it multiple times. Because I remember, it was probably one of our earlier sure. It was also, it was it was, it was was hard, because there hard. was no way to get people to really know who you were. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There was no way to prove that you were, like, you could be throwing raucous shows here and have people into it. And have people, you know, hometown going nuts, people into these songs, rah-rah. You were like, we're drawing people, but there was no way to show that. Yeah. There was no way, like, yo, look at this live video from our hometown show, or... Oh, look at our engagement on social media. Oh, look how many people, look how many followers. You know, there was nothing like that. You're just basically cold calling people and cold mailing them press kits. Yeah, it's you true. I mean? Check, take a listen to this press kit, see what you think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See how many MySpace people we have. But even that, people didn't really understand what was important about followers and engagement just yet. Well, I think it's telling that there's no video of us anywhere. Very, very little. Very, 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 little. very little. Yeah. And. Now, in hindsight, like, if we had done this five years, ten years later, we would have just put tons, tons of video we, content we, up all the time. We would, yeah, we would have put out nonstop content, because you think about how many nights we were at Nick's house or hanging out, and there were always instruments around, and people yeah. were always playing, or how many different jams we had with some of those guys from the metal bands. We'd be at somebody's house, and we'd go, oh, let's yeah. play these songs, let's do this, or let's mm-hmm. go live, or let's... We definitely would have uh, we would have used that a lot because we were always I mean back then we were always playing music like we weren't just playing music when it was band time we were playing music because that was the thing we did that's true um, you know it's weird too I, I always feel weird now like if I if I pick up an instrument in front of other people like just to goof around with it because I'm, I'm not as good as everybody so I'm always like ah, I'm gonna pick up something I understand suck <laughs> I, can, <laughs> you know I, mean? like, I definitely I can definitely understand <laughs> that instinct with yeah. musicians I, yeah. before I started playing a lot again yeah. I would feel that way I'd go pick up a bass I'm like oh my god I barely remember how to do this yeah. before I started playing again but then also the opposite side of that coin when you're not around musicians mm-hmm. is if everybody you hang out with isn't musicians anymore you need to think about now if you're hanging out with you know um, the Maiden Utica extended cinematic universe and like all those different yeah. folks and everything Nobody there is really a musician, no. so like now you're just guy with guitar. It's not like oh, let me go get one. Oh, let me go get one. Hey, I got drums. Hey, let's yeah. go down and play. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Let's do this or let me show it's you this point. thing. You're not with people who are musicians like that. Anymore. Yeah, it's true. In Nick's basement, there were tons of instruments everywhere. And musicians. And musicians. And could, yeah. I mean, you could get six people playing jamming at one time just in the basement. That's without drums, and you're at a practice spot or whatever. It's crazy. So I wanted to come up with a couple different. Uh, I guess we'll start here. Do yeah, you wanna, yeah. Do you want to start with bands or venues? We can pick one or the other. Uh, what do, I don't. What do you mean? Well, I came up with a couple of lists of some of my favorite venues that we had hit over the years. Okay. And I also came up with a list of some of my favorite bands we've met along the way. Okay, just, cool. <laughs> so, cool, cool. Uh, I'll start with venues, I guess, because I think one of the more important people, and we've mentioned her on the podcast, even in regular times, uh, Robin from The Tram and uh, Virgo Bats and Leo Frogs. Mm. At a time when we were playing around here, 16, 17 years old, there really wasn't a lot of accessibility for us. To have a place 
to play original music that you can get a lot of people to come to, right? Not the bars, at least. Well, you could. We were kids. We were kids. You couldn't play at the bars. You could play at Captain Trips. Captain Trips can carry a book if you were a kid. Yeah, but Captain Trips also felt prohibitively expensive sometimes for people, especially when you're 16. It was tough. Well, and it was it was also tough to get booked there because you're they know you like the majority of your people who come in aren't drinking, so you get like Sunday night shows or something like that. But um, Captain Trips felt like a big deal though. Yes, yes, yes. Getting getting to Captain Trips felt like a big thing, especially when you like that 16, 17, 18 range. Um, but for, you know, you mentioned robbing from the tram, I guess. For people who don't know, a lot of people haven't lived here their whole lives. A lot of people weren't down in that part of town. That's um, correct. Way back in the day, before there was before there was Taylor and the Cook, before there was Utica Coffee Roasting Company, before there was Utica Bread, um, in the building that is now Johnny's Pizza. Yep. Uh, Robin, who owns the tram now, used to have a coffee house, and we probably partners too, but I was just associated yeah, with her, her, so I don't yeah. need to count anybody out if I am, but uh, owned a place called Virgo Bats and Leo Frogs. Yeah. It was a coffee house with all these low-slung, comfy couches, and they sold tons of those boiling craft sodas, mm-hmm. so you'd go in there, and like, as the enterprising 16-year-old, just dipping your toes into the water of like coffees and yeah. cappuccinos, or just get a soda, and you could go hang, and they would have shows with like punk bands and stuff, or like four or five bands playing, yeah. you know high school range and stuff like that and that was one of the first places you could go and they would let you if you called and like hey I've got uh, my band and you know these two other bands that we're friends with we want to put on a show do you have a date and they would yeah. work with you and they wouldn't hang up on you once they found out you were like 16 or 17 you know what I mean well you talk about like Halcyon days the salad days like I think about Virgo Bats in such high regard in terms yeah. of what it meant for like defining who I was well, at that time. It, it also was... that was that was also those were easy days too because that was before it cost anything. Like that was when you lived at home. The hardest part for me, honestly, about Virgo Bats and mm-hmm. also with Plant Street Cafe um, in United Square yeah, we used yep. to do shows mm-hmm. was getting my dad to drop me off at those places. <laughs> That's right. No yeah. joke. I would try to yeah. get my dad to drop me off at Virgo Bats, Johnny's Pizza. The only yeah. thing on that block was was Peepers. I've. Was the only thing, and the, and the great rentals on the corner was still there. You know what yes, I mean? That was right. the only thing down there. And so I'd be like, hey, Dad, can you drop me off? He's like, wait, where? Yeah, my mom was like that too. Also, uh, shout out to Taylor and the Cook used to be a place uh, short after Virgo Bats time, but before oh, right. Utica Coffee time. Oh, my God. Where they called it the Resonance Center. The Resonance Center. And it was just oh, an, em- it was an empty room where they would have, like, hardcore artists yeah. doing art. And they would have hardcore shows on the weekends. Like, get beat up, like, you know, slam dance, death pit, hardcore shows, just everybody packed in there, and it was a crazy time. Uh, Steve's old band, Sinister Saint, played there a couple times, you know, some heavier shows, and now it's Taylor and the Cook, and it's kind of funny. Um, yeah, got the resonance there. Yeah, yeah. Blew me back. See, you think about that, when you're in Taylor and the Cook now, there used to be just kids slam dancing all over and getting bloody noses and breaking fingers and stuff. I don't know what they're doing there right now, if they're still open with everything that's going on, I'm sure they're probably not, mm-hmm. uh, but the folks who now are in that Plant Street building... Leah Savage. And the so the Plant Street Church right across the street from the Dunkin' Donuts in the Nine Square for yeah. folks that don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Shout out to my friend Leah Savage who works over there for the Underground Cafe sort of after school program. Oh great, they've that's re- awesome. Yeah, they've got, really, I tell you what, they've got a beautiful facility yeah. in there too so I'm yeah. glad they're putting it to use. And I, I, it's funny because I talked to her about this not too long ago. I was like, you know, when I was a kid I used to go there all the time. It's a venue, yeah. And she knew. She's like, yeah, yeah. I know. I know who MXPX is. I'm like, oh God, I'm like, you're my favorite person in the world. <laughs> Love this person. A uh, couple other places I feel like are important to mention. Um, specifically like Sandusky, Ohio and DeKalb, Illinois, which sort of became our, uh, to me, those are the two spots I remember the most from being on tour out in the Midwest. Sandusky, certainly. DeKalb was just like, cause you got like a couple like funny stories off specifically being one of the, that show in DeKalb was the worst show I've ever played in my, cause I remember it. That's how I know it was the worst show. What did you do wrong? Okay. So we were in Illinois. No, I said that. Because I didn't say oh, it. Oh, that, that's I didn't right. Say those it girls, that they were so mad at you. I said it's the first time I'd ever been in Illinois. 
Uh-huh. And they said, it's not how you pronounce it. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm from New There's York. There's a table full of girls up near the front. And they booed me. Yeah. Uh, and then we were never able to recover. Yeah. <laughs> like we, we just, it was yeah a, they were straight heckling. They hated We got invited it. to their party afterwards, though. That was the same girls. The party. That was the same girls. Um, that was also where I went to that girl late at night asking to uh, purchase some substances. And she's like, hey, you were in that band. You suck. And I was like, thanks. So no then? Yeah, she was a ball breaker. You should, it's probably nice to point out because like it's rock and roll and like people don't get crazy. You're just talking about buying weed. Yes, when I was a young man. Yeah, I'm, yeah but like That's I'm true. saying, when you say searching out substances, people like you were in a rock band, they might think you're talking about cocaine. That That's, no, I was never We were never mind. that cool. I don't no. think. No. Yeah, that's we an important never, thing, yeah. too. We had beers and we would go to parties, but we were pretty mellow. We were, pretty, we were raised on, like, PG-13 teen movies. We, <laughs> so, we were like, we all had healthy respect for our parents. You know what I mean? Like, everybody had a good relationship with their parents. No, like we all lived point. at home. Like, we knew, you know, I mean, we knew kids and, like, some kids in different bands and stuff who were really, like, in some dire straits and yeah. kids who were doing different things. But, like, we all had pretty, like, nice, easy mm. diet rock star and that's lives. A, but that's a good point, too, because even when we would go do any show... Yeah. Like, there was a time, I think, where we would laugh early on when one of us would always have too much to drink early on. But there was a time very early on in the band where we were like, we have to be on all the time. Mm-hmm. All the time. Like, we had, yeah, I mean, if you if you want to talk about that, yeah, we had rules. We definitely had yeah, rules. Yeah, rules. Yeah, you had mm-hmm. to. You had to. Because yeah. we tried to pretend we didn't need them. If you're going to try to make it your thing, then you have to treat it with some respect and some professionalism. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, in hindsight, I, I, I wish that I wish there had been room to treat it with a lot more. Especially, like, knowing what I know now and, like, mm-hmm. things that if I could go back and have just my way back then, there's still more professionalism I would like to have seen. Oh, like, sure. You have to have that for sure. There has to be certain times. Like, when you when you go play those shows live, that's the product you're presenting. You might record some songs, but that's just so people are familiar with the material when they come to the show. That's your product. So, yeah, you have to be... You have to do it right. And I felt a lot of pride in us in terms of our live show i felt like we really yes we really tried really hard to like give it i, I was always exhausted that's always been I mean? yeah we were, we were sweating when that was you know that was there's a lot of, a lot of movement a lot of crowd a lot of things going on but it was something that you know we've always one of my frustrations it's always been with like going back and talking about the band mm-hmm. time and band times is i don't and i think i probably said this last week i don't love um showing a lot of these songs or almost any of them to mm-hmm. like most general people because I'm always so frustrated that I don't think we ever really captured what we did live all the time, almost ever on record. There were moments yeah. and parts and pieces, but there was never a recording I heard of the band where I was like, that's what we do, that's that's us. Yeah, that's, no, that's totally right. Mm-hmm. I, and I think that used to bother me more. As I get it does, farther... Yeah, yeah, it doesn't actually like, yeah. actively bother me, but that's one of the things where like it's distracting when I listen to like, it. I don't think as I get older that the best things I've ever written are the stuff that you guys are going to hear right now. I think the oh, stuff I've written yeah, yeah. in the years post the blueprint that no one's ever heard, mm-hmm. they're probably better than these songs, but mm-hmm. it doesn't matter because it's not... I didn't play them for anybody. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So sure. Yeah, yeah, I, know I, don't, I don't have I that know sort of... I used yeah. to be more... Well, so anyway, we were doing venues because we're... Oh, venues. Yeah, place. sorry about that. No, no. Uh, and let's talk about Albies for a second. So wait, we didn't... Do you want to... Do you want to oh. hit uh, like the Youngstown at all? Because we told the oh, Cub story, okay. but that was... Yeah, those some, those was some dear good friends and we had dear good, good friends out that way too. Oh yeah, so we can talk... Let's talk about Sandusky for a second because Sandusky sort of... Hearts are in Sandusky. I loved some of the most fun... Times I remember. Well, so the nice thing about Sand, there was a great venue in Sandusky called the Underground, and it was downstairs, and it was a huge like basement type place right near the waterfront for anybody who's ever been to. uh, Still there, probably. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's the same business, but I'm sure somebody still owns a business. It was a beautiful building. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool, and it was nice. It was downstairs, and it was huge, like big stage rock and roll club style thing. Had like a nice green room, which is certainly not common when you're playing venues all over the place. Like to have a nice space where you can go and like change, get ready, and stuff like that. Um. 
And all the people there were super friendly, and we liked it out there. It was a nice kind of hub, like right there in Ohio. Mm-hmm. It was a nice hub for different things. And we made some good friends there who, you know, treated us like family. Like, when we would go out through that oh, way, so nice. first couple times we went there, sometimes we would get a hotel if we wanted, like, a full, like, a nice, mm-hmm. you know, night to treat ourselves and be in a hotel, do whatever. But we had friends who let us literally stay. That girl brought us to her mother's house. Giant I, house. We all slept in the basement. They cooked breakfast for us the next morning. Like, I'm going to tell, tell this story. I'm going to change the names of the people involved for... for everyone engage okay this this girl who helped us out let's call her i don't know elizabeth we'll call her what's right? her name because she's like married and got a husband and stuff now and I, okay. i'm still friends with her she's nice oh is, are you okay nah, no, I see. oh okay all right all right point is yeah uh, elizabeth Eli- no that's my sister's name give her a different name joanne susan can't susan. Susan. susan so okay susan. so susan and i had like a nice little like whenever we go to sandusky she was always sweet we had a little romance going she was your, she was your ohio girlfriend my ohio girlfriend yeah right? yeah uh but We'd gone to Ohio a couple times, and I knew that her name was Susan. But at no point her in time, her name wasn't actually Susan, but you knew her name. Yeah, I knew her name. I knew her first name was Susan, quote unquote. But it had been like three times we'd gone there, and, and so we, now over the course of like a year, because we oh, made yeah, three separate yeah. trips swinging through that yeah. part of Ohio, and she's still, you know, we texting, we're talking. We, it wasn't like we would yeah. just talk then. And you know, the third time we were going back out there, I think I said to you, I was like. I do not know this girl's I remember name. you said that before we got there because <laughs> we were going to stay because we were like, we're going to go there. And she was like, hey, my family, because her family had that big, giant, beautiful house. Beautiful house. They were like, oh, yeah, you know, you can come stay at this place. Come after the show. You can stay here. We didn't take showers, do breakfast, do the whole thing. And we were so glad for the hospitality. But you mentioned the van before we got there. You're like, guys, I got to tell you, I don't know this girl's name. And we were dying. And we were like, oh, you know, we're going to blow you up. But you were still the only person who slept in a bed that night. So, in, in my infinite wisdom, I thought, well, here's how I'm going to figure it out. Uh huh. I'm going to text her. And I'm going to ask her how to spell her last name. Oh, my God. I because, forgot. Because this way, it won't be I don't know it. I just don't know how to spell it. Yeah, yeah. And I sent her the message. like, hey, how do you spell your last name? She's like, my last name is Smith. I'm like, uh. No, but shorter. <laughs> yeah, it's shorter than we that. We can say, honestly, we can, it doesn't matter. It we can Ray. say what her last name was. Her last name was Ray. R-A-Y. And I was like, oh. Yeah. She so was like, oh, how do you spell that last name? Yeah. Ray. R-A-Y. R-A-Y. Is it R-E-Y? <laughs> Is it Mexican? I was like, I don't know yet. So, uh, great girl. Love her to death. Sweet girl. Doing girl. She's married. She's doing great. Yeah, so Sandusky, that became a spot where we... It's nice when you when you return to places and you go to places, you know, time and time after again. Because even it's, mm-hmm. it holds true when you go to just like Syracuse and Albany and Rochester and places like that too. But what you're looking to build is is a community like the community you have in your your home base when you're a band. Yeah. So you want those people like the Sandusky people like, oh, you guys are coming through, so we're going to come out again because we're friends. And you know, yeah. that's you build those friendships. As a band, like you know, if you're when you're building, you know, you want to build fans, you want to build this community. That's what you're doing is making friends with people. You mm-hmm. know, that's. One of the main things you'll see every band at these levels say, be like, hey, come hang out after the show. We're going to be at the merch yeah. booth. Come say hello. We'd love to meet you. We'd love to know you. You know what I mean? Um, and I got two more local venues I want to talk about. Is there any other farther away venues you want to talk before we come back local for a second? Any place specific- Minneapolis, I was going to say. Specifically, that place was cool. Um, I loved Minneapolis as a city. Minneapolis is an underrated city. Minneapolis was the first city we went to when we were doing the band thing. Sure. I pulled in and I was like, yo. This is like a city I could live in. Yeah, you're really were, cold. But other than that, really cool. <laughs> yeah, you were you were you love that place. It was very chill, man. It was like yeah. Midwest Brooklyn. It was cool <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um Can we talk about Albies for a second? I'd love to. That's the one that got away for us. Albies the venue. It in... just didn't last for long enough. I think we talked I think we would have talked about that a little bit last week too. But yeah. um Yeah. But I felt like when Albies closed, for legitimate reasons, mind you. Yeah. Uh, 
that felt at the time like a big blow because we had just started having like a nice relationship and they had that nice sound system. They had a, they had a really expensive sound and light system and a guy who knew how to use it. They had a nice stage with its own stage area, and they were definitely um, fast and loose with proper identification. Oh my god, super fast and loose. You know what I mean? Which like with something like now, especially as somebody who like you know now all these years later after that and who has continued mm-hmm. to work in you know the bar industry, the event industry, the alcohol industry, you know, mm-hmm. in various different things. Like I look at it now and I totally get why they were closed. You know, give all the the PSAs you give now, where you totally get sure. it. And if you own a bar, like I wouldn't do that. I would never do what they did. Mm-hmm. But that's their choice to make. Um, but yeah, they were definitely fast and loose with IDs, and they had an awesome live room. And that's we were. We were really coalescing a scene there because we started yeah. playing there a lot. I mean, we played there with, you know, Matchmaker and Reluctant Hero and all these mm. different bands from all over the Match place Maker. that were playing. You know what I mean? Like, there were a ton of bands we played there with. And there would be when we weren't playing there, there would be other shows too. Albies was happy to take everybody's business and music business because yeah. Captain Trips had been torn down. Mm. Um, and there weren't really places where you could play a show like that. Mm. McGill's had a stage, but it was smaller. Electric Company had a stage, but they were doing a different thing. Um, you know, McGill's, we've talked about many times before, I think on the show, not here. McGill's was sort of like our, we need some money. Let's play this every month and get they some pay, money. They paid really well. They paid us really well. They let us do whatever we wanted. And a lot of people would come to Mr. Yeah, McGill's that's true. because of its location. We would get, I mean, we had some, we had some really, really big, big nights shows. at Mr. McGill's. Uh, Valley Brook was another big one. We played a lot. Valley Brook was huge, became huge for us after because the Valley Brook, he, I mean, if, if they played fast and loose with IDs at Alvey's. <laughs> Yeah. The Valley Brook. Shout out to Kenny at the Valley Ooh. Brook, and I don't care saying this because like he's not like been a great dude to right. me almost ever in my life. Sure. Um, like I mean, he would encourage underage yes, drinking. He would. Yeah. he would be like, I don't care who you bring in here. He goes, I'll keep the bar. I'll pay you guys like whatever. You know what I mean? Here's this thing, and it was just money making. He would let anybody do whatever they wanted. And we, some of us in the band, were like still twenty when we were playing there a lot, or even being 21, 22. A lot of our friends were still 20. Yeah, a lot right. of people who liked the band were still, you know, 19, 20. Time. And so he would just pay us, so we'd make a ton of money, and we would, I mean, anybody who's ever been to Valley Brook, we had the entire inside of the Valley Brook shoulder to shoulder, and all over out in the deck. Like, that place was packed every time we played, and it was wow. sweating. We would burn that place to the ground. Those were probably some of the most just fireball, like, going full speed shows. Like, we would really rip through songs. For sure, for fast. sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I guess we have to talk about Electric Company. I mean, Electric Company... We played the last show there, so yeah, I guess we do. We didn't like play there. That wasn't a venue for us. Yeah, I, I know that a lot ever. of people like talk about how important a venue was, and I guess it was. On Huge, venues, yeah. but just not for not for our band. Uh, it was important to me as an individual place to go. Yeah, like it was important to me as a patron and a, mm-hmm. and a goer and a member of like the the EC family at the time. You know. Yeah. Because I, cause it was actually, for me, it was afterwards, and it was yeah. before we played that final show, but like after the band was done and things, mm-hmm. and I was starting to go out more, and I would go, I started going to Electric Company all the time, all yeah. the time, but we didn't play there, I think we played there once when we were like a band doing our thing, and then we played there that final weekend. They did make us feel at home all the time, even oh, when we always. I mean, playing. Z, Z was always, Z was always the best. He was always artist first, always took care oh, yeah. of everybody there, it was always... Electric Company felt very cool. That felt like a big get. Like, the Electric Company, we were coming up, was a place where the next step up, the, mm-hmm. the older generation, the guys who were, like, older in the bands and we mm-hmm. were the younger guys, you know what I mean? Like, the guys who, you know, who are the 20-year-olds who are out playing shows and yeah. you're, like, a 16-year-old, you're like, yo, that's that guy, that's that band. That was, like, where they were. So it was an aspirational place to be here in Utica because it was so authentic compared to a place like McGill's. It's like, we've got a stage. If you want to come play covers, come play covers. You would go see like artists doing originals. The Electric Company wanted originals. They didn't want your bullshit cover band. And that was yeah. very aspirational for people who were very much trying not to be a bullshit cover band. Uh, 
So, aspirational stuff in that same line, uh, even though we did play a lot of local shows, I think in our mind we always kind of wanted to play the shows outside. Of New York. We liked the idea of being on tour and being out in the road and being in the van and driving we, we, back and forth. Sure. I think we always wanted more. I just wanted yeah. I just wanted the show to be fun. I just wanted it to be a good show. I just wanted people oh. to be there and more than that, people to be into it. I would rather take 20 people who are super into it than 120 people who don't yeah. really care. But also something we talk about. The other side of, you know, we were talking about we don't have a lot of video of ourselves that time. We don't have even really a ton of photos of ourselves that yeah. time of the shows. Um, you never had to compete with anybody looking at their phone or doing phone <laughs> stuff at shows. How about it? You never had anybody over. I mean, you would have people like texting, trying to see if somebody was coming out to the show or like what was going on after. Not like day. People would text, but not like it is today. You wouldn't, mm-hmm. you know, there wasn't that either. And so there was, you know, not to get like an old man take about it, but there was a sense of immediacy and in the momentness that, you know, I wonder if you would get the same way now. Do you see that today? I never really asked you this question before. I never really thought about it. But, like, when you're playing shows today... like With Last Left? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, we... Especially, like, a casino where people were, like, gambling or sitting at the bar and stuff. Like... No, nah, man. We torched the casino. Um, no, I know, I know that, but I'm no, just... No, but it's... No, but, like, very specifically not yeah. when we play at the casino, yeah. actually. Those feel very much like real shows. But, yeah, you, I mean, you'll always have that. You'll have people going off. With us, we'll, we'll, we'll see a ton of when we're playing with Last Left. Because yeah. we play covers. We play lots of covers. Lots of songs people like. You know, we like to think we put on a good show. Mm-hmm. You'll see tons of people when it's a specific song go to, you can tell they're doing either their Instagram story or their Snapchat where they're like sending it to friends. Like, you know, mm-hmm. maybe if like you and all your friends really like uh, Dancing in the Dark by Bruce Springsteen and we're playing Dancing in the Dark by Bruce Springsteen, you're singing it into your Snapchat, your Instagram. We do see a good amount of that at the larger shows where there's more people at for sure. Uh, all right. So I'm going to go to the next track. Uh, this next track, and this is I, the reason I brought up the touring thing. Uh, this particular track, Welcome to the New Midwest, uh, a lot of the lyrics in this song were written based mm-hmm. on being in the van. Like, I remember, I Can See for Miles is a direct reference to just being in the Midwest well, in that van. Because that was specifically, um, we're going to talk about this song, I mean, that was specifically a moment where the Midwest always became synonymous because the first time that we took a long trip, the first time we were like, we're going to get, you know, 15, 16, 18, yeah. 20 hours away from home, like, we're going to be out there and go for a while... And the Midwest swing was where we went. And I remember all of us being pretty affected. Just the notion, like you're saying, I know you've got the lyric in the song. Like, I can see for miles. I can see for miles. I, I'll never forget being in that van. It was the first time I'd seen the Midwest. It was yeah. so flat. And it was just, it was eerie and it was unsettling. I remember going through Illinois. was the flattest part we were in, like, somewhere. And it was, you know, growing up, you think yeah. up around here in New York, like, it's so hilly and so mountainous. Mm-hmm. And so much of the terrain up here in the Northeast is like that. It was wild. It was a lot of time. Well, let's get. I want to talk a little bit more about driving and the touring stuff in the next section. So, sure. But let's go to the track. This song is called "Welcome to the New Midwest." Shout out to um, on this track. Shout out to Steve, yep. our good buddy Steve. Yep. Steve, there's a lot of keys going on, a lot of brass, a lot of really cool leads mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, another song that doesn't quite thump on the record the yeah. way that it did live. We opened with this yeah. one a lot, right? I well, think. let's let him hear it because I have some takes on that too. So let's let's let him hear it, then we'll come back and we'll talk about it in a second. Right back.
that weirdly like we missed the in- something's wrong with the intro of that song yeah I don't know if it's a timing thing I don't know if we just didn't hit it precisely it doesn't catch until about a minute in but man when that song picks in about a minute in I'm like oh yeah I remember why I like this song now. Mm. like that song has some that was a fun song I actually like that song a lot yeah that's one of our uh, I think with the touring stuff being out there on the road and like the Midwest I think the Midwest wasn't sexy when we first thought, I first thought about it when we were like we're gonna go out to Minneapolis and Ohio and stuff. I was like, really? Sure. Because I think in my mind, I thought like bands who were cool played in like New York City. Didn't uh-huh. <laughs> we? Didn't played in New York a bunch of times. I didn't like playing in New York. No. Here's the problem with playing in New York City. Mm. Sucks. Well, loading is bullshit. Sucks. Loading sucks. Parking, bringing your Parking van and trailer sucks. sucks. But here's here's the nobody's coming. 
And any given night in New York City, Monday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night, there's 250 bands playing. There's yeah, at no least. like good bands, like good like bands. bands you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's something the excitement of playing in a big city like New York is cool and the idea like, oh, go to New York City. But then you're playing for people in a bar who do not give a shit about you at all. True. And there's the a cool the cool memory that I have um from the only the only really like cool memory I have from playing in New York City, besides that stuff you get when you're young, you're like, oh man, we're playing in New York City and like all that little stuff is the first time we went, um, everybody, we were talking, we had like that whole social scene that sort of called us around the band, oh, all these yeah, people were right. hanging out. The first time we played down there, it was just a one-off show we were going down one night for, so like t- everybody came. Yeah. We went down there, we caravanned in like four vehicles with like 20, 25 people. I did bring my And just everybody friends. was out there, yeah, yeah. My but it was it girlfriend was, in a taxi. And that was young enough before anybody had any actual experience oh, in like yeah. New York City and stuff like that. And it was just kind of crazy. Um, but that was just fun because everybody came. But yeah, you're mm. right, all the other times, you're like, yeah, okay, I'm playing in New York City because we'd see bands say all the time, oh, we got this show in New York, we got this show in New York. Mm. I mean, there's a bar every three doors in New York and there's people playing but nobody knows who you are. And yeah. it's such a thick market to permeate whereas like, mm. when you go to a Sandusky, Ohio or you go to a wherever else it might be, same as if you come to a Utica, New York with a band who came and visit from mm. you know far away, you can actually like coalesce something and kind of build something or try to. Um, so I wonder if we should start talking about Boston. Because we're starting to get to that. That last track we just listened to, Welcome to New Midwest, is off our Boston recording session, which is the last thing we ever recorded. Yes. Um, and what's interesting about it is in Boston, we went to the Milk House Studios in Boston, Massachusetts, in Alston, Massachusetts, uh, and worked with a guy named Kevin Ennis, who, ironically enough, was also the guy who... Was that from, he, he wasn't calling it the Milk House out there, was he? He was, wasn't he? Was he really, still? I think he was. When from we the were Gosson thing? I think that was a thing back in the day. I could be wrong. Kevin, send me a message on Facebook if you see this. Sure. And let me know what the name is. But uh, we went out to Boston, and I guess at the time, that felt like our... We wanted it to be like the definitive thing at the time. I felt like that was going to be our definitive recording. Oh. And to this day, it probably is the most definitive recording we well, have. I mean, it was the last thing we did. I guess we're going to have to talk about Jay here. At some sure, sure, of course. Time. Do you remember when Jay... He was sick with cancer before he ever joined the band. Yeah. And it was always on and off and on and off. I feel like it was... Well, it was off. He was in remission when he joined the band. But didn't he get it back once and then it went to remission then he died. again? It was no. only once. It took yeah. a while, but yeah, no. Once it came back, it was back. Yeah. Jay was a real trooper. You know what I mean? We probably should talk a bit about just Jay as a human I being, I guess. I assume we would. Yeah. Well, I've been sort of, I was going to wait to the last section, but now it seems like a good time to talk about it because, you know, he, I, I, Jay's a really interesting character. I think, I would love to know what Jay would be like today. In like, just, he, I loved Jay. Like, we had such great times, like, talking, but Jay and I never had a lot in common on a personality level. We sort of respected each other, and that is what our friendship, I think, grew out of. Uh-huh. We were not super friendly initially, uh-huh. I think. And I think it was a lot to do with Jay's personality. Uh-huh. Jay was the guy in the band who would do all the stuff that I did not want to do. He would call a venue. He would book a show. He would set up practice times. He would do all of the responsibility stuff. He also had the time, too. Yeah, I guess you're right. That's true. Uh, but I feel like when he came into the band, that was probably the real moment that things stepped on the throttle. For sure. And as he got sicker, I think we... 
I don't remember this band having some dramatic big ending where we were like, that's it, it's over. Do you know what I mean? It never really was like that. No, he died. I no, think I, is what... Yeah, he... But there wasn't like some moment afterwards where we were like, this is it. It just... We never talked about it, I feel like. I think we had to. There was nothing to talk about. Yeah. There was nothing to talk about. There was no... I don't know. You know what I mean? No, I guess you're right. Uh, there was never a thought of us going on, though, afterwards. Do we ever even talk about, like, maybe continuing after yeah, he passed tons. away? Yeah, tons. We had huge long conversations, both with him and separately without him. Why didn't we in the end? Just we didn't... There wasn't really anybody to do it with. We had hard, We had already... If I don't... You know, I, I maybe I remember more about the mm-hmm. time than you do. Um, I remember yeah, things maybe. about things, I guess. But, like, yeah, when he got... When he got... He had been in remission, doing the thing, taking his treatment, doing all that. Some things back and forth. They would get scanned... When he got his first really bad scan, it was in October. Uh, he passed away the following May. Yeah. When he got that bad scan in October, and he's like, so I'm going to have to slow down. I'm going to have to start doing treatment again. We were like, all right, well, I guess we're going to have to slow down. And that was when we were, you know, we were pushing. We were going to do this Boston recording. We were trying to do the Gary thing. We were playing tons of shows. We were starting to talk to a lot of people, booking agents, various like label-type things who wanted to start pushing us with a new recording and like they had mm-hmm. seen one to start booking us for some live dates different yeah. people who were really starting to bite at all the lines we had had out the work we were doing and no joke it did feel like we were actually starting to get well, yeah, positive yeah. momentum we, we were talking i mean yeah. we were having we were in conversations with you know quite a few different people to start expanding what we were doing and things like that and then he got the tests and he was you know hardy and sturdy about it he's like yeah we're gonna fire it. we're gonna do some chemo we're gonna do some radiation this and that we're gonna try to knock it out mm. that was in october um i remember because it was a uh, Big topic of conversation, something that was going on at the Thomas Street Halloween party. Um, yeah. That was the same year. And mm-hmm. so that happened, and he never quite got better. So we were playing shows with his little brother at the time. But he was too young to ever go with us. He was 16. He was literally in high school. You know what I mean? He was great mm-hmm. at drums, but Jay would sit there and watch and play when he could. But he had the neuropathy in the hands, and he was so tired from all the different stuff. And, you know, by that point, when you started, uh, before anybody was saying it out loud, but it looked like it wasn't. You know, it wasn't going in the right direction. The problem with being in a band and doing this in a band is it's all a work of momentum. And so if you take six months off, if you're in a band that's trying to like, you know, build, build your momentum, you're trying to get bigger, you're trying to do stuff, you have to keep hitting it, you have to be playing out, you have to be pushing, always pushing more and more. Momentum is so important. If you take six months off, you might as well start a new band. Yeah. That's unless a great you're point, you know actually. what I mean? Like unless you're Unless you're already like you know largely established, if you take six months off as a band trying to make a name for yourself, start a new band. You might as well. And so we took all that time off, and we knew there was no easy plug-in or replacement. There was nobody who was going to come in. And at the end of the day, I say this all the time: a band is only as good as its drummer, and the drummer is the soul of the band. Like you can change out guitar players left and right. Oh yeah. You can change out your bass player. You could maybe even change out a singer, even if it's a little bit different. But a drummer is just different. Every drummer is yeah. so different, and a drummer is fundamental to what the songs are and how they are. Yeah, that's we had played with a few other people, and even then, they've had the same drummer for 25 years. Cameron now, yeah, but... You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, so, you know, you start to... When you go and change that out, there was nobody really around. It was going to take too much time to start back yeah. up again. We were all getting a little bit older. We didn't really want to... I used to tell people back during that time, it was easier to be stupid and fearless when you're 18 than it is when yeah. you're like 22, 23. And people just started getting nervous and were like, oh, shit, maybe I should go mm-hmm. do more college. Or, like, maybe I should go do this. Or maybe I don't really want to start over again. You know what I mean? And it just, it was it was kind of a natural a natural ending. Nobody had the heart to keep doing it without Jay there. Because he was such a fundamental, like, you know, heart and soul piece of the band. Were we jaded by the end, you and I? Do you think? I, we've been jaded since we were born, kid. 
I mean... No, but, like, was... I don't remember... No, we were... No, we were trying to battle it into something more like we wanted it to be. The big dynamic with the band towards the end and towards, like, all the prime times, like, once Steve came in was... Not always, not that it was, like, you know, contentious, but there was you and me... We're always pulling in one direction. Nick and, and Nick Jay, Jay were always pulling in another direction. And then Steve would be the deciding vote based on who we talked to most recently. You or Jay. <laughs> or you yeah. or Nick. Whoever had most recently made yeah, the yeah, case. Yeah. Because usually he's, I'll go along. That makes sense. We can do that. You know what I mean? Whatever we want to do. Path of least resistance. So we would always kind of bounce between those two going different ways. But you, know, you and me were in a position where we were about to, I think, prove to a lot of people. Number one, like, hey, look. There's actually, like, you know, there's this stuff happening. There's stuff coalescing. Mm-hmm. We're finally starting to get towards the sounds that we want make the type of music we want to make, cut out the stuff we don't really want. You start to build into what we actually want to do. And, like, that was kind of... That was supposed to be... This record that we did in Boston was supposed to be the beginning. Yeah. And everything before that was prehistory. It wasn't even supposed to really count. It was supposed to be the beginning, but it ended up being the end. So, uh, the next song we're going to play... And we won't get there just yet, but the next song we're going to play is a song called The Boy Who Cried Wolf. I think this is actually an interesting uh, narrative that you're bringing up to get to that next level. Mm. As a songwriter... This was the first time I had thought about doing something ambitious song-wise in terms of doing something that was a larger scale. Getting outside of your own comfort zone, yeah. personally. So the song Boy Who Cried Wolf has a uh, parentheses afterwards. This is always a dangerous sign when you have a song uh, you're that has big a on, you're, big on, like, you're big on extra titles. Extra all titles. This was also only a couple years removed from uh, the Hail to the Thief, the Radiohead record, where every single everything. song had a second parentheses title. Like, <laughs> there, there, in parentheses, um, the bony king of nowhere. So in my head, I was writing this three-song trilogy. Mm. It was a song called Boy Who Cried Wolf, uh-huh. The Battle Of, yeah, and then there was yeah. a song called no Safe Harbor, which we'll play oh, afterwards. The lore. Um, the ballad of. And then there was supposed to be a third song, the the finale, whatever the fuck. Sure, you know? sure. And we never wrote... I wrote the song, but we never played it. Like, it exists somewhere. The oh, song okay. that is supposed to be the third song. Very but cool. it never it never became a thing. Yeah, yeah. But this... I remember specifically being like, I need to start thinking more ambitiously about what I'm writing and what I'm talking about if we're going to... Because when we went to... I didn't talk about this last week, and it drove me fucking nuts when we were in rochester that piece of shit that main producer guy not the one mm-hmm. who we liked the other one the yeah. dickhead i remember sitting down there doing the lyrics with this guy and he was looking at my lyrics and he's like you know man these lyrics are too like clever they're too complicated no one's gonna understand what you're talking about no one's gonna get this yeah and i immediately was like nope we're mm-hmm. done we're we are done here. yeah that's but okay i, I I was so mad. And because of that, like that was probably a good thing in hindsight because it really lit a fire under me to be like, I need to start being a little more conscious about like the stories I'm telling in the narrative. And I want it to be tough for people. I want it to be clever. And I want it to have nuance. To, right? And to, furthermore, to be rewarding to people who pay attention. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Well, because a lot of the bands we liked and the things we were getting into, we liked bands yeah. that did that and bands that had mm-hmm. you know a little more. Especially as guys who were always readers, always writers, yeah. always that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so... Anything you want to talk about this track before we get into it, and then we'll do a close-up um, afterwards? This track, what did you say? What track is it? Uh, Boy Who Cried Wolf. Yeah, so I remember, um, the things that I remember about this song is I remember you writing this with, like, Jay and, like, Nick and doing, because I remember you working with him trying to get the drum part and make mm. it, like, give it the vibe that it is. Yeah. And I remember coming afterwards and, like, coming up with the bass part and everything. This song... Well, it's a fine song and a good song. Um, it really, 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 I think for me, picks up in that bridge. Mm-hmm. The bridge from the the bridge where you start doing over just the palm muted guitar yeah. and you start doing your part out 
is probably some of my favorite recording we ever got out of the band, with the exception of that one part, the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, only because we repeated the same rhythmic pattern four times, like we were 16 years old, instead of putting any <laughs> rhythmic variance in it whatsoever. Yeah. But that was such a big get from uh, Strombolinas of the World, and like trying to yeah. put, put on with Jay... And get him to not have it be like too choppy or too punk. That we're like, all right, we'll keep it that way. But we hear it afterwards. That drives me nuts. Yeah. But this is one. This is probably one of my favorite recordings that we have of the band, and one of the first ones I would show to somebody in my life now if they were if we were talking about it and they were asking me about it. I'm but, glad you said that because this almost didn't make the cut for this show. But what were you gonna put over this? Uh, villain. Yeah. Every story has a villain. Mind. They're kind of the same song. <laughs> no. <laughs> all right. Well. Uh, Alright, so this song is called uh, The Boy Who Cried Wolf, and it was... Uh, I actually like this one. I think it's relatively ambitious. Mm-hmm. This is probably closer to what we were aiming for going mm-hmm. forward, so... And in that bridge, when you get into that bridge that I like where it goes out and it gets good and it gets really good from there, um, I think it's specifically fitting, because this is before you had moved to New York, mm-hmm. where you are specifically talking about, I can go back to my hometown, you can forget that I came, and like yeah. all that stuff, and it ended up some vision in the songwriting. Yeah, ahead of its time. Uh, Alright, we'll be back in just a second.
Is your name? My cover's blown. Is this another night I spend in this town alone? Waiting for you to call and say I'm not coming home. I'm not coming home. I'm not coming home. I was I was just saying to you in the in the interim when we were listening to that, I I really think I wish I could go back and do all these again. Not that it matters; it would sure, only be for me. Yeah. But man, the vocals on all the stuff is so flat. I struggle mm. to because th- I really think I wanted people wanted me to be Eddie Vedder, and I think I sort of bought into it <laughs> that I was supposed to have like this kind of heavy early on for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then by the time we got to the end, I started like I wanted to do the opposite, and I started knocking myself out of my own range. Yes. Yeah, you made you made like a specific decision one day that you will only sing outside your range, and you never look back. Because I don't love the way it sounds when I'm doing. I hear it. Like the whole. I know like, what you mean. You don't want to be. You don't want to be the crooner. I got too many people who are like, you know, who you sound like that guy from Stained, that guy from Sure, Nickelback, yeah, yeah. that guy from Deeper Voices have always been tougher, especially in this kind of music. You know what I mean? Shout out to the one lady at the Bug Jar in Rochester that one time when I was feeling really down about us as a band. I was really unsure about what we were doing going forward, and she stopped me after the show and she's like, "Hey, do you know who you guys sound like?" And I was like, "Oh God, who?" And she's like, "Hot Water Music," and I like gave her a hug. And I was like, oh my God, thank you so much. But you just you, you see, get it. You, you see saved it. this band. Everybody oh who's listening to this, if you don't know the band Hot Water Music, uh, you should go listen to them. If you go to Spotify, whatever their top five on Spotify is, all be bangers. Um, all right, so we're here at the end. Ah, oh, I see. Um, so the last song we're gonna play today, and we'll, we'll we'll get to it. Not right now, but we're gonna get to it. Is a song called "No Safe Harbor," which. Mm. In my opinion, and I, I'm probably biased because I feel like a lot of this was me. This, mm-hmm. At least the the verse in the intro and stuff was. Mm-hmm. Um, this felt to me when I show people stuff. This is the song I show people. Mm. If you have to add, like people ask me, what song do you like the most? Sure. I think Harbor is the shortest. It is the tightest. It does a lot of things that we. It was the closest to something everyone was happy with. Sure. I feel like at the time it it had all the vocal harmonies that like the Sally liked. And it had that little bit of that rough punk action and the group vocals and the chanting that I liked. And it was big and epic, but it wasn't too long. I, and what's important, the reason I bring it up is because this track is the... Jay recorded this in the studio, but never played it live. And it always gave me heartburn, like, afterwards in hindsight. He was never, like, able to play it at a show or to really, like, have yeah. people see this thing that we made on the fly. Well, so you've got to talk about uh, Boston to understand that. Because yeah. in okay. the last segment, we talked about talking about Boston. Yeah, but we, we never got there. Yeah. At all. Um, okay. 
We yeah. So when we did this was a song where this was a song that bumped uh, Last Tango in Brooklyn off of this Boston recording. We had went out there. Our buddy Kevin Ennis, who was living out there at the time, who was the recorded that first album, yes. the stuff we played like Hello There, some of that stuff from last the week's The coercion episode. stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he recorded that, and he had continued being out there, being in Boston, in touch music. and whatever. And he's like, "I've got a really cool studio. I think I can do good stuff for you guys, and I'll work with you. I'll give you you know good rates." So we're like, definitely, we'll go out there. And our plan was to just live at his studio in Boston until the recording was done. Yeah. So we were in there, you know, kind of sleeping on the floors in the studio, crashing in the van, doing that. And that was in the month of April. Because um, I remember it was during the week that everybody had, like, college off. Because I think, like, yep. somebody was taking classes at the point or whatever. Mm-hmm. But So we went out there for about, like, you know, 10 days, whatever, to record. It was in April. Jay passed away in May. So he was super sick when we were out yeah. there in Boston in April. And he was, you know, doing takes, playing drums, and would have to stop after each take and rest because his hands hurt and he was out of breath. Like, and it was nuts. But everything you hear from all these recordings, I think, that you've heard um, today on this episode were from that time. So know that every single piece of drums you hear here is this kid three to five weeks away from passing away from cancer, like deeply sick out there. And we didn't think we were going to go do it. We didn't think we should, but he insisted that we go out there and do it. He really, really wanted to... He was kind of making his peace, you know what I mean? He's like, I've got to get my last recording out there. And this, there's no way to know. Sure. Do you think he knew that his time yeah, was up time. before we left? Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure, for sure, yeah. He, we left we, he was pretty open about that, you know what I mean? Like, we talked about I it out there. It. I always thought... In, I did. You know, in I, hindsight, Because you had never lost anybody. Not anyone young. I knew damn well. I knew damn well, you know what I mean? You... You hadn't learned the lesson that unfortunately we all learned yet, personally enough yet, that, yeah, it could be anybody any time people do go. You know what I mean? I remember. It doesn't seem real until it happens for the first time. I remember, and this, I don't want to get too far off track, but sure. I remember the funeral was one of the worst things we've ever been to. Like, that funeral for Jay, just because it's so many young people, like, being around all our friends, all these young folks just oh, losing man. their mind and crying. And, and I remember Steve asking me to go up because they did a thing, and they were like, if anyone wants to come up and say something. Yeah, yeah. And I, I did not want to. A hundred thousand percent. I was like, nope. I, sure. No, no chance. Sure. But but Steve wanted to go up and say something, because yeah. he, he felt like he wanted to, and he asked me to go up with him. Yeah. And I remember going up with him, and he said something really nice, and he was talking about the time in Boston, and the recording, mm-hmm. and he started like breaking down. As you do. And I had to like... Yeah, yeah. Him. And I, I'm not a huge crier. I was certainly sad, but I don't... Sure. I tend to grieve... Okay. At a slower rate. I'm sitting up there and he's like, I'm holding him in my arms and he's crying. Sure. And I'm in front of the microphone, people looking at me and they're crying. And I'm like, he made fun of the Red Sox a lot. And it, like, I remember people laughing, yeah. but I didn't know what to say because it was just, it's so, it was so surreal. I have, it's times like this sometimes too where I specifically, like, it's crazy how different um, people's memories are, people's yeah. personal experiences are, even when they're close and friends. Uh, that The Waken Funeral was, it, although it was so sad, was like, it was good. Cathartic. Time, was good times and fond memories. Not good, not good. I mean, I, it, maybe it's an Irish Catholic thing and maybe yeah. it's just having been through it. Maybe it's just the way the family is, but like, you know, all those times there with everybody and it kind of being, you know, the end of a bunch of different things and, you know, you could sort of feel it, but being there and spending that time so close to everybody where when everybody's hurting and everybody's grieving, everybody's so open and so close and so raw and intimate and honest. And that's good quality, solid human connection. Mm-hmm. That's some of the best stuff about being alive. So that's you know what I take from a lot of it. But yeah, so we're way off to the side. Um, but yeah, but sorry, yeah, I didn't mean to. I, no, sorry, I didn't mean good. to. I mean, but well, the point I wanted to get to about the harbor thing is when I listen to this particular song, when we get to it, no safe harbor. Yeah, you can tell. Well, I can that Jay is giving 120, 130 percent. He's just not getting it back. His sure. body is 
not responding to what he wants I didn't to notice do. it. I didn't notice it as much on this song because we wrote this song in studio, so there was no what he's supposed to do. But I notice it on songs that we had played with him and written at a healthier time. Um, but we I, we're on we're on two tracks right now. So we're sure. on Boston track and we're yeah. on Harbor track, and then we're on J track. Okay. Which, what track would you like to continue on? Well, so uh, I feel like I'm bouncing back and forth. No, you're right. You're right. Uh, let's get to we've gotten we talked about Jay already in the last segment. We talked about this last segment. Let's talk a little sure. bit more about Boston while we're here. Okay. Well, so we so to talk about No Safe Harbor when you when you talk about so this is the song that we cut the last Tango in Brooklyn yeah. from to put on here. This is the only song that we ever did where we wrote it without playing it live. You had written it pretty much all the way through on one guitar, just strumming yeah. it out. And we had it ready, and you were playing it in the studio, and Kevin Ennis was saying to us, you know, our good old-time friend Kevin Ennis was like, that song's really good, you should record that. Mm-hmm. And people were kind of up and down, we had to have our vote, and I, I really thought we should too, I thought it was an awesome song, I'm like, yeah, you know, we should definitely do this, this would be a good song, because we basically sold it to ourselves, this will be a song, if we don't record this, yeah. like, this song is good, we're going to start playing this song live, this yeah. is going to be a big song live, because it's got a part for people to shout along with, it's got... We knew what it was going to yeah. be, right? Like you can just kind of tell. We had played it out a bit and played it for mm-hmm. people. They were into it. We're like, if we don't record this, we're going to be mad that we didn't. And we're going to be mad that we don't have a recording. Our whole purpose of Boston is to have our best songs done. This is not one of our best songs. So it was the only time we ever recorded something uh, live in the studio without playing it anywhere. And it came out pretty good. I've got, I mean, with the exception of one to like two small qualms, but, you know, what can you do? Uh, see, this, this one gives me, like, the good chest feels. Like, when mm-hmm. I hear this song, I can... I can hear your vocals in the back doing the group chaining because I've known you as long as I've known you and I can sure. hear your voice. And just like hearing it reminds me of like watching you guys do the group vocals in that yeah, room. Yeah. And I have such a good uh-huh. positive bubble. The part feeling. where it cuts out, it should have been a two count and not a one. Yep. That's, re- that's really just my qualm. <laughs> it should have been it. a two and not a one. Uh, you also, this song, for, for as good as this, because this song will start with just you uh, singing and with guitar playing just at the beginning until everybody comes in. It sounds great on the record. Did a great job. You played this for me one time in Steve's old yep. bedroom I years ago like when me. you first wrote it, and you played it, and you played it differently than yep. you you played it and sang it differently. And you, I asked you right there, I'm like, do that again, play it that way again. I couldn't. And it was one of those times where you were kind of absent-minded. You couldn't remember what you did. This song was still never as good as that first time you showed it to me in that room. It was That was magic. Like That had given me the chills. You it was know, still good, though. It's funny, too, because I remember that moment because I remember in the room, like I was, I was just screwing around with the guitar, and I hit these, like, these notes in a row, and I was like, oh! Oh, mm-hmm. oh! So I like, ran downstairs mm-hmm. to go get you. I was like, "Hey, I need you to come here for a second and listen to this." Mm. Um, this is probably my most. This is probably the thing I'm the most proud of is that single opening of just me playing acoustic guitar and singing mm. on one mic that survived and is on the track. Kind of a uh, kind of a full circle for you from your uh, solo acoustic recording of the song "Coaster." Yeah, especially because I hated acoustic circle. guitar. Yeah, you did. I did. <laughs> so the fact that the my favorite track we've ever done starts with me playing acoustic guitar and mm-hmm. singing and nothing else is very strange. Also, this is one of the few songs we've written, maybe the only song, that I think the lyrics are great. I love mm-hmm. all these lyrics. I'm, these, these are some of the proudest lyrics I've ever written for any yeah, song. Yeah. I, like, just the chorus of this, I was like, oh man, I'm I'm feeling real good about this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alright, there are some questions, some broad questions I want to ask you before we close out. These okay. are some broader questions about the band. Is there anything else you want to talk about with Boston or Jay before we move on to these like sort of lightning round-esque questions? Ah, man. It, so it's tough to say because I... I could, I could, if it was just me personally, if we were sitting here, you know, having a beer, shooting the shit with the boys or whatever, yeah. or if somebody was genuinely curious and like somebody mm-hmm. was asking me, I could talk about it for 10 hours. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I know, talk about know. every single little thing. Um, so no, I, I won't say there's anything specifically and I don't, I don't want to cut anything out or people out mm-hmm. or, you know, this was such a large period of time and this is such an important formative period of time mm-hmm. that it's almost reductive to talk about it yeah. in any 
fashion for how big and influential it was. So, you know, you can't, for as much as we're doing this podcast now and we're looking for quarantine content, we're trying to figure out, and you pitch this, let's go back, we'll talk about this and sort of go over it. You can't really fully do it justice. So yeah. none of these words we've said here should stand fully in concrete. Like that's sure. some, that's something I was thinking about last week after I was like, you know, because we do like a lot of hot takes and a lot of talking wild on this mm-hmm. show. Um, but you know, it was it was such a good time, and everybody who was around that time, everybody who was near that time, mm-hmm. um, will always be near and dear to me. Whether it's you know forty years between talking to them, no matter what it is, even if we weren't that good of friends, like everybody who was there at that time holds such a special place. I think probably in all of our hearts that like you know it's still stuff that you think about all the time. You know, and you warm fond mm-hmm. times. I've said this in the podcast a million times. I. I chalk it up to having sort of a weird parent situation, mm-hmm. wanting like male role models in my life. I was surrounded by women, two older sisters, a mom. My dad wasn't around. I had three aunts. I had 13 female cousins. Sure. I held my male friendships mm-hmm. so close. Mm-hmm. And even to this day, I still do. It's so For important sure. to me because I, I always felt like I was trying to find father figures. And I even looked at it now like, mm-hmm. why do I like superheroes and professional wrestling and Godzilla and these huge over-the-top large-level characters because they're a colossal nerd. Well, that's too. Uh, <laughs> but, but I think I'm looking for like these over-the-top images like to, to look at like that's I know what you, you mean. You know what I'm saying? I know like, what you mean, but I'm, I can I can just turn. I'm just I'm laughing at Godzilla as a father figure. He's that soul concept alone <laughs> is I'm just, um, that's amazing. Uh, I'll put it this way: it, it was so important to me because. I think this is a pretty common thing. People tend to stagnate at whatever moment in their life they feel like they were doing the best. Sure. And for a long time, mm. I felt like this period of life was the defining moment of my life. Things mm. were never going to get better than this. I I, I really thought that this was all I was ever going to do. I, there was a, Up until Jay passed away, like there was never a question. I was like, I've committed to this. I'm done with mm. school. I'm done with whatever. Mm. This is it. And it's so weird now in hindsight, 10, 15, 20 years later, to look at where our, you know, my life is now. About 10 years later. About 10 years later, whatever it is, and, and just feel like, man, it, how quickly things can change and how quickly time goes by. Yeah. Um, if, I'm being, if I'm being completely honest with myself, I wish that uh, what I had done, I wish I had doubled down or tripled down. Yeah. I wish that I had, like, and not even just, like, not necessarily, like, I'm going to start a new band and we're going to make it, we're going to be this band in Red Originals, but I wish that I had continued to look at music as a career and found a way whether it's moving to a larger area where there's a bigger scene and getting put into even something like i do now having a gig where you're like a working band playing out or working maybe you see people move into stage production like when you're young you think either we make it in this band or we don't do music and i wish i had had a better understanding of all the different ideas and somebody point to me like hey if you want a career involved in music here's some different things and different ways you can go to still keep playing your instrument and I wish that I just doubled down on it and just done that because as I come back around to doing it now, I realize that that is just the thing. It'd be, you know what I mean? Like that is just the thing that I want to do is play music. I mean, I think about the sliding doors moment of what would have happened had I not got accepted to Hunter College and moved to New York. Yeah, New York. because we didn't really play much. Mm. At, you and I after things went south and we stopped playing together, mm. like, we were still friendly and talking to them. Oh, we had a dope band. Yeah, but it never stuck. Like well, because the, the, ever... the drummer was addicted to drugs. Right, but I'm saying we were never... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I would have liked to see what we would have done if we had had a couple of years. Like, we had a year off sure. from the Blueprint. Sure. And came back and did something different. You know? Yeah, definitely. Um, 
What was your? Do you have any particular like favorite song to, that we like to perform? Not live, original song and cover. Give me one original one cover that was your favorite to play live. Um, I'll yeah, okay. Um, I will. There's a there's a bunch of different ones. I will say I really enjoyed towards the peak of the time, peak of the powers. Mm-hmm. When we were really like at, at the peak of our doing everything live. Um. If we were in front of a favorable, good-sized hometown crowd, playing Imitation of Affection last was mm. always awesome. was always... Yeah. that Because you hit that first F and you hold it out before you start mm. the riff and people know and you get to do the whole last yell, all right, guys, this is the last one. Thanks so much, rah-rah, and all that. And it's got all the parts. That was always, like, that was a banger. Um, that was one that was always super fun for me. As far as covers go... Um, I'm trying to think of covers that we did all can the time. I, can I take one? Often. Yeah, sure, please. The, the greatest single instant moment of my my life as a musician. Not it, it happened all the time, but it was my favorite single thing. Sure. Was the second we would finish our last song before Baba O'Reilly uh. by The Who, which we would close with a lot. Yeah, yeah. And it was just that little 10 seconds when Vasali would be playing the guitar part and I was saying goodnight to everybody. Uh-huh. And we were about to launch into... Uh, yeah, to yeah, about, yeah. Just that moment where I was like, thank you guys so much. This is the And people were just so excited. Mm-hmm. And it was such a fun song to play. And it was such a good way to close the show. There's also uh, one of the best moments you get from being in a band is when you're in front of a hot crowd before you play your first note. You oh, come onto yeah. the stage and you've got maybe some drone, maybe some music yeah. coming, everything's coming. Lights are <laughs> up, everybody's moment. up there, you're getting started right before uh, you drop into whatever you're starting. That moment is always great as well. Uh, all right, we've gone very long. Let's go to the last song. Okay, before was we... that the was that those are my lightning round questions? I have a couple more if you want. Yeah, yeah, Do you want a couple more? Are. We're uh, we're so far out here now that like what are you trying to shave down four minutes in your no. time? <laughs> Uh, Anybody who's come this far with us is obviously committed to the story <laughs> and the conversation, so you might as well give them light. Do you on. have any particular non-playing moments that stick out in your head that you remember all the time? Because um, I have one off the top of my head I remember immediately. All the all the affiliated parties that were because of the band. Parties after the show. Times, I remember all the before, like the before and after, before the show and after the show. Yeah. Not just actually the playing, but the mm-hmm. whatever was happening after the show. Because even back then, you know, a lot of nights we weren't getting done at 2. No. We were getting done at like 10, and you know what yeah. I mean, or something like that for a lot of different nights. Or even get out at 12 and 1, and that was back when it was no question. Like, yeah, we'll stay out till 4, we'll stay out till 4, we don't care, you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, all the non-playing times were the hanging out, the, the before and the after the shows, and all those times. Yeah. I remember... And all the times at practice, like being at the city center building, yeah. um, and all that different stuff. I'm a little bit more wistful. I remember um, driving. I was a bad driver. I'm still a bad driver. Yes, but I used to get hassled. You would not fall asleep though. You would be down to stay up with anybody. That's correct. You would be down if somebody yeah. had to stay up and drive through the night. You would always be down to yeah. get in the passenger seat and talk to them. And I remember driving the van from I want to say it was Minneapolis to Chicago. We were driving back for the Minneapolis show, and we were going overnight. Through Chicago. Sure. And everyone tried their best. Like, Jay stayed up for a little while with me mm-hmm. in the front seat. And then he went to mm-hmm. sleep. And you stayed up for a little while in the front seat. Steve did mm-hmm. not stay up at any point no, in time. Ever. He slept the whole time. Ever. 
And then if you tried uh, to make him drive, he would literally practically cry. And I'm then, just so tired. I'm so tired. I don't care if so, we have to sleep at this airport. I'm too tired to drive. Fuck you guys. Yeah, true story. Steve got mad at me for waking him up when we were going through Chicago. Like, it was Steve, his... look, the Sears Tower. He's like, I don't care. Oh, he's coming in. Uh, no. So anyway, yeah. Uh, but the point, this is true. Uh, this is all true. Uh, the point was, though, I drove from Minneapolis to Chicago, and it was about mm. seven or eight hours overnight. Sure. I remember getting into Chicago when we were out of gas, and I pulled into the gas station. I was so proud of myself because mm. it was just me most yeah. of the, for the most part. And I was like, I'm a terrible driver. That's a good I, long stretch, too. That's a long drive. And I pull into the gas station and everyone starts waking up. And I remember as I'm pulling into the gas station, the back of the trailer rubs up against like the side of where the gas tank is. It doesn't, really yeah. hit, doesn't even hit it. Like, it, yeah, just, yeah. it just casually rubs against and Jay... One of those bumpers. And Jay is like, oh, look at this. Look at Sam driving. Look at I'm like, I've been driving for eight hours. Come on. <laughs> so mad. Uh, but I just... I just love those little dark moments of being awake at like four in the morning before the sun was up. And I was smoking a lot of cigarettes back then. So like mm. you smoke that cigarette in the van and listen to a Pearl Jam song and it's four in the morning and you know the sun's coming. Mm-hmm. And you know that you're in the van with these like four or five people who just mean more to you than any other no people No harder in the world. time driving than that last 60 minutes before the sun comes up over the horizon. There's no harder time oh, yeah. to be on the road or trying to stay awake. Uh, Kevin, this has been a lot of fun. Hey, and thanks. before we get to... Uh, the end of the song here. Uh, I'm going to... You yell at me all the time uh, for having no earnestness and not being earnest and Brooklyn is ruined. I don't think I yell. My ability to be earnest. Mm. Um, I'm going to be earnest right now. Uh, I do. I know that you don't always love Remember When. It's the lowest form of conversation if you're talking about Tony Soprano. Mm. Uh, but this, this band and these moments, uh, you know... I'll put it this way. You have been probably the most significant, important friendship of my life. And Mm. a lot of it goes back to this time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've been... I don't have brothers. I have two Mm -hmm. older sisters. Yeah, I say, I've been looking for father figures and brothers my whole life. Right? Yeah. And this band and this time really set for me the table for what would be mostly, maybe the most significant friendship I've had in my entire lifetime. Mm -hmm. So... For that, I must thank you for everything mm. you've done for both me and the show and the band and, uh, yeah, and just all the good times. And we have lots of times going forward. You know what I mean? Yeah. We got... It's yeah, not I don't... Like I'm not... Listen, I'm not... Uh, when I say, you know, if I get characterized as a person who doesn't like a Remember When, um, that's not really always the case. But I think Remember When oftentimes is tossed out there without a purpose. That's correct. I love to go back and look back and examine and bask in the nostalgia. And all this stuff is, you know, so important to me. You know what I mean? It's all gospel mm. times. It's all the old gods. All that stuff. Um, it's always there and it's always good and it's always good to remember uh, thoroughly because I think memories are important it's important to preserve them something like this is good because when you're preserving it and talking about it because it gets so easy you know memory is a tricky thing yeah. the brain works is a tricky thing so it's always good you know commit this stuff to memory I think everybody during this time you know even if you didn't go through this you weren't in a band yeah. they had their time and their thing and you know it's an important thing and these people stick with you yeah. forever and some people lose them I'm glad that we've maintained our friendship I'm glad for all the people from this time that I still know for yeah. Steve for Vasali, you know what I mean for everybody else you know oh. it's it was man how lucky how lucky I we know. all were to be able to do what it is that we've done uh, I want to thank you folks for joining us on this adventure for the last two weeks. I don't know yeah. what next week will be. We'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah, uh, I was thinking about this when you were doing the intro, but shout out to everybody still listening. Um, if you listen to the show all the time, obviously it's been a bunch of strange weeks. We're doing weird stuff. We don't know what to do next, uh, primarily because we can't get interviews. We can't bring interviews in. Yeah. We're trying to be distant from one another. Um, 
if you have something that you think we should do or you want us to do for the show, just just shout it out and we probably will. If I could get people... Like, almost anything you want, shout it out. We might do it. I'd be happy to do a mailbag episode if you guys could send me some mailbag questions. That's true, That'd too. That'd be great. Maybe I'll yeah, push yeah. that this week. We'll try and do a mailbag Yeah, yeah we'll episode. try to push the mailbag. Right. We'll do a specifically mailbag next week or something. Okay. Yeah, I'll try something. Yeah, uh, Kevin, thank you so much. Hey. Uh, appreciate you. Uh, we will close out with uh, the track we were talking about beforehand. This is mm-hmm. the last track we ever recorded as a full band, yeah, yeah. I guess. Uh, and it is something I'm very proud Listen of. Listen to those drums. Know where they come from. Understand. No, yeah. Know what he went through to get. No, there should have been a two instead of a one on the stop after on that last chorus. Guys, thank you so much. A two. We'll be back next week. We appreciate you. It's counting. So once again, it seems that I'm falling back to sleep in bed. That you would call your second home when you're alone, and that's just fine with me, cause I'm unjustified. Oh,